Hey, this is Sam for Dobbs. If you need tires, hop on our website, go to Dobbs.com. We'll save you time searching brands, sizes, and prices, and save you money because we sell tires at the lowest price in town, guaranteed. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Now it just ejected Mike Schilt, and he was given Gallegos a look about his hat, I believe. You know what I was thinking when he came out there? I'm thinking if that's LaRusa, he's getting thrown out of the game, and before I can get it out of my mouth, he's gone. There's no reason for that. Can't have water on your hat anymore. Schilt's second ejection of the year, seventh of his career. Oh, they're going to take the hat. Oh, with yeah. Them. And there's someone going to climb over the. Isn't this where they climbed over and took the bat back? Albert Bell's bat. They're going to take that hat <laughs> to. They're going to take that hat to the umpire's room. It'll be evaluated. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Carriker Smallman and Danny Mack on 101 ESPN. That was part of the Cardinals' 4 nothing win over the White Sox yesterday, and a lot to get to today in regards to that game and a specific that specific part of the game. Good morning, Michelle Smallman. How are you doing? Good morning, Randy Carriker, and good morning, Danny Mack. Hey, good morning, guys. Cardinals uh, kind of stole one yesterday, didn't they? Yeah, it was good to have Tommy Edmond power up for the two home runs. Yep. And John Gant, seems like whenever he's on the mound, it's you, you kind of feel like you're stealing one. But he's great. I, I, I looked at it because of the lineup. I mean, when you had a yeah. lineup that was, you know, your last six, seven, eight, nine, uh, didn't do anything. And you were sitting some of your big guys on defense. Um, you had Rodon, who was awesome again. You know, there's only been three pitchers in the history of the game that have had 10 strikeouts, no walks, and gone, I think, six innings in, in back-to-back or to do it three consecutive times, and now he'll have a chance to do that. That's how good he was yesterday. I mean, he was awesome. The Cardinals were not going to get to him except except for Tommy Edmond, and so you walk out of there, you salvage a game, and it feels a little bit uh, better going into Arizona. And then, of course, it's it's Edmond, it's Goldschmidt, it's Arenado, and the, the other part of your big four, as we all expected, Edmundo Sosa. Absolutely. <laughs> he has earned the playing time. Yeah, it's yeah. going to be very interesting when Paul DeYoung comes back. they got to keep his bat in the lineup and his defense. He's played very well defensively, too. And the story of the game, obviously, what you heard, Joe West and the umpiring crew taking away the hat of the Cardinal right-hander Giovanni Gallegos when he came into the game. And as you might guess, Mike Schilt was upset about it. So why do I take exception with that? Um, Because this is baseball's dirty little secret and it's the wrong time in the wrong arena to expose it. Because here's here's the, and make sure I get my words right. Because um, I got a decent chance of getting fined, and my wife Michelle, you know, gosh darn it, um, it's for the integrity of the game. And, and <laughs> um, but anyway, here's the deal. First of all, Geo wears the same hat all year. Okay, um, 
had to crew dirt, had to crew substances, you know, like just stuff, you know. We pitched in a day game. Um, so did Gio have some sunscreen at some point in his career to, to change his, um, make sure he doesn't get some kind of melanoma? Possibly. Um, you know, does he use rosin to help out? Possibly. Is, are these things that baseball really wants to crack down on? No, it's not. I know that completely firsthand from the commissioner's office. That is not anything that's going to affect his ability to compete. And it was interesting with my um, buddy Ernie Moore, our traveling secretary. Um, he goes, man, that really that new hat didn't really seem to affect Geo's stuff too much. Um, so that part was nice to see. So what I take out of that, the, the biggest thing is that he said that he knows for a fact that baseball doesn't want to crack down. But, Dan, as, as you know, Michelle, as you know, they've made it a point. They made it a point with a memo during spring training to say they are going to crack down on it. Yeah, they sent a memo to all teams. They said they're going to in- inspect balls taken out of play, analyze spin rate data, and they're closely going to monitor the clubhouses and the dugouts, which I understand why you'd want to take those measures, but it does seem it's been a bit inconsistent at times. And so if my if I'm Mike Schilt and it seems like my guy is being singled out and what I perceive to be unfairly singled out, I'm going to take exception to that as well. I, I do too. I, I think he handled it after the game extremely well to the point where I was reading a bunch of different articles on it last night and most people if not all that I read were in agreement with what Mike Schilt was saying so I made the point on the game yesterday I I saw something on Alex Reyes's hat the tip of his cap Mm -hmm. you want to take that cap out you want to take uh we're going to see all all over the weekend you're going to see guys around baseball that have something of some whether it's they reach up for their cap I mean think about when you wear a baseball cap your fingers go immediately to the middle of the cap. Yep. So mm-hmm. it's not, you're not taking it out from the side usually. It's right in the middle there. And guys are, are the, the, the key that he's, the, the real interesting thing that I think that he said is when you see, and now you can quantify this with spin rate. And when you see from start to start or an appearance to appearance that spin rates all of a sudden dramatically jump, then there's something there to it. And that's what they're trying to crack down on because what ultimately what baseball wants is more offense in the game. They're sick of seeing all the strikeouts. How do you get strikeouts? Have maximum spin rate. How do you get maximum spin rate? Well, you can put a substance on your fingers. I would also say we're also seeing a ton of guys getting hit. Mm -hmm. Saw more getting hit yesterday. One of the things that, that even the batters will say, I don't mind if a pitcher has a little bit of something on his fingers because... I don't want to get killed. Right. Mm-hmm. And and so it's a, it is baseball's, as he said, dirty little secret, and everybody is having something, whether it's on their wrist, their glove, the side of the pant, the hat, the jersey. Watch how guys do the it. Neck. You, the neck. The you, neck, you can we've seen it. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can go somewhere on your body and find some substance to help you out. So uh, it was just odd in the middle of that game with a hat that didn't look like Steve Klein's, and they're asking no. to take that hat out. It was just odd. Also, I thought it was interesting how Mike Schilt pointed out that Gio will constantly lick his fingers and how that could yeah, make yeah. make a mark, too. And he's like, there's a lot of guys that aren't doing that because they have stuff there. That's right. So and It's not like the Cardinals and Schilt don't have access to all the spin rates. So now let's get to the genesis of this conversation. And this is the part that um, is the... Major League Baseball has got a very, very, very tough position here because there are people that are effectively and not even trying to hide essentially 
flipping the bird at the league with how they're cheating in this game with concocted substances. There are players that have been monetized for it. There are players that are obviously doing it, going to their glove. There's clear video of it. You can tell the pitchers that are doing it because they don't want to go to their, their mouth, which Geo does off the rubber. And understandably, and I know f- comfortably, Major League Baseball is, is trying their best to do it in a manner that doesn't create any black eye for the integrity of the game that we love. I certainly have suspicions as I watch. We're, we're going to talk to Greg Amzinger at the bottom of the hour, and he's got a great take on this. But Dan, as you you mentioned, you go you watch pitchers go to their wrists, or you go to they go to the the strings on their the gloves. I, I suspect all the time that pitchers have something. Well, I, I would say this, and I, I made the point during the game yesterday. And I am not accusing. I want to make sure I'm saying this properly. I'm not accusing Carlos Rodon. He's figured something out. But so are we supposed to expect or suspect that he's done something or guys that have bounce back years? Are they doing something weird? Now we're going to start taking their hats and their gloves and pieces of their uniform. I mean, these guys do it all the time. My initial thought was when I saw this was maybe somebody from the White Sox dugout Ask the umpires to go check, and that's usually how it happens. And I, I don't think that was the case. My understanding was it was one of it was Dan Bellino, I believe, mm-hmm. went to Joe West, who was the crew chief, and said we need to go look at the hat of Gio Gonzalez. I don't understand it. Why you would do it in that part of the game, and it wasn't egregious. And there are guys when you're watching to your point, Randy. Games, I can see it. I watch every game. I do every game, and especially when we're doing these games uh, from remote, I have to. You know, I'm just in tune, watching very intently what's happening on the screen. I see guys go to their glove all the time. Happens all the time. Everywhere. The the Angels clubby was ultimately kicked out of the game, an Angels clubby, because he was developing a concocted substance. The pitchers around the league, and by the way, Adam Wainwright was accused of being one of those pitchers, Garrett Cole too, of ordering his concocted substance, getting it mailed to them so that they had it. And at the time when that article was released, people didn't think it was that big of a deal. Baseball then decided to crack down on it, but for so long it wasn't an issue. It was just something that everybody kind of understood was happening. Everybody understood. And like I said, hitters were like, okay, Mm -hmm. because I don't want to get killed with a 98-mile-an-hour fastball with a slick baseball, so it gives him a grip to at least control it. Um, And the, the idea was to take those, as Mike said, that are being egregious with it, that you're seeing quantifiably with spin rates going through the roof. Now, this guy is doing something that is totally illegal. He's taking it too far. I guess the the question would be, we're in a gray area. What is legal? What's not? Honestly, I mean, you're either going to have to come down and say, you can't Mm -hmm. use anything, or you got to change the ball. You got to get a grippy substance for the right. ball. They got to be rubbed up properly. And this year, the ball has been changed. And you mentioned the pitchers that are egregious about it. And that was one of the things that bothered Schilt that of all pitchers, it's Giovanni Gallegos. Now, I don't want to be, look, is our house 100% clean? I certainly hope so. Am I creating more of an opportunity? Because I just spoke to our pitchers. Am I creating more of a, 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 a I mean, awareness to our group? Potentially. But let's go check. The guys that are sitting there going their glove every day with filthy stuff coming out, not some guy before he's even stepped on the mound with a spot on his hat. That's how you want to start policing this? And unfortunately, that's how this is going to start. Now, maybe this is a crescendo for things to come. 
But can I tell you 100% that all our guys are 100% clean with nothing you know, other than some sunscreen and some rosin, which the hitters don't mind, by the way, because they want the grip, which is why we don't want the guys getting, you know, hitting various spots with, with big arms. Hitters don't mind the grip. They don't want the stuff that's making the ball do wiffle ball stuff. And that's the issue at, at hand here. So you want to police some sunscreen and rosin? Go ahead. Get every single person in this league. Hit by pitches will just continue to go up. Balls will get away. But why don't you start with the guys that are cheating with some stuff that are really imp impacting the game and impacting how people play this game. And that's the, that's the integrity of the game I'll speak up for. Popular, I really don't care. It's accurate. And the thing is, you can test for steroids. And the numbers right now would lead us to believe, based on the fact that there were uh, there have been, what, five, six, seven uh, 60 home run seasons in the history of the baseball and five of them took place over the course of three years we can pretty safely assume that if there is steroid use it's at a minimum now there is no way to test for these substances and for my thought process this is as big an issue as well, you, actually you can no you can if you wanted to <clears throat> if you want to well, take these balls and do it every single day that's the thing and so Technically, you could, but I don't think anybody wants that. No, but it is. It's you're counting on people's integrity, and I believe that actually it's a bigger problem than steroids because Mark McGuire, he admitted Barry Bonds allegedly, all those guys, they were stepping to the plate four times a game. This is every single pitch of a game that you're talking about. So there are supposed to be those that are sent out from Major League Baseball in clubhouses and when a ball goes out, they're supposed to take a certain amount of balls and go test them. And so then you would find out if player X was, his spin rate was going through the roof and now in the sixth inning he strikes out the side and like Mike said, the, the ball looks like a wiffle ball and then you, you can test the ball. Like, there's supposed to be guys that are in the clubhouses and from Major League Baseball policing these things when a ball goes out to be able to test it. So are you going to start doing that with every single guy that has a good night out there? That's the problem that you have. It's prohibitive. It's tough. That's Dan, Michelle, I'm Randy. Coming up, get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. And by the way, if you want to weigh in on this with the mic drop feature, feel free to do so with the Rhino Shield mic drop on the 101 ESPN app with your phone. Sick of it. Next on 101 ESPN. I'm over it, Sharon. I can't take it no more. I am done. I am sick of it. Do you hear me? Sick of it. I can't take it anymore. These people are the worst. Carriker and Smallman are sick of it. Michelle is doing today's show without thumbs. We've uh, She has taped her thumbs so that she can't use them. It's great. She lost the PGA champion. I'm enjoying it. It's great, Randy. I can't write anything down i can barely drink my coffee opposable <laughs> thumbs very important people yeah so just so you know that's the punishment for her players in the pga championship being way more over par than my players so it's part of the deal so the it punishment is. was a, sh a whole show with no opposable thumbs danny that that would be a hard thing to do i think it'd be easy would you like to try dan no i wouldn't <laughs> <laughs> All right, it is it time. Look like a lot of fun. It's miserable. It, yeah, it, it is. It is time for uh, I'm sick of it. And kids, I'll tell you what, I, I am sick, and I'm reasonably confident that I'm. This is going to be taken care of. 
I'm sick of seeing non-full stadiums. When we saw the the wide shots of the cell in Chicago, mm. when we watched the NHL playoffs, we don't see fans in the stands. And I know, for example, NBC has a policy that they don't show fans in the stands. But I want to see fans in the stands. I'm sick of seeing quarter-full stadiums when I know that people want to be there to fill them up. Only a few weeks, and then you'll have your wish, which is great. I think today is the day that it officially goes on sale, all single-game tickets for the Cardinals. I'm really intrigued to see what will happen. Uh, June 14th is that first game. Mm -hmm. Normally, in the middle of a season, June 14th, uh, it's against the Marlins. You know, you'd still get a nice crowd, maybe 35, which is ridiculous to think about in the middle of the week. You get 35,000 to come to a game between the Cardinals and the Marlins. No disrespect to the Marlins. Just not, they're not mm-hmm. the Cubs. Um, I wonder what that first game is going to be like. I, I do. I, I do wonder about it. Are we going to have a full? Is it going to be a relaunch? Is it going to be a packed house? Or is it going to be just, you know, like the normal, you know, 30, 35,000? And will there'll be some trepidation of some fans coming out? I think what I'm hearing is that when more fans are getting the um, opportunity to go to a game, they're they're just saying how much they missed it, and they're like, okay, I'm going to get another ticket. I'm going to another game. After I went on Sunday, I feel like you were there too yeah. as a fan. So you I, don't you feel like you have a better sense of this now? I don't know about you, but every person that I saw there was so happy to be Absolutely. back. Absolutely. And it felt so normal. It was the most normal I've felt in over a year to be in a big crowd of Cardinal fans at Bush Stadium, Cardinals, Cubs. It just felt normal. It felt great. And I can't imagine that you went to a game and had that experience and you're not dying to buy tickets and go back. I'm with you. It felt like normalcy. It felt like a normal game. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you're back. It was normal. There were some protocols of... Uh, I was in a suite to where you, it was all all inclusive, and you had to wear a glove or something, gloves to wear oh, to, to go get, get your food, food or yeah. something. But you know, other than that, it was it was normal, it really was. Well, other than being sick of not being able to use my thumbs, and it's only been twenty minutes. Yeah, this is the pits. It's going to be a rough show for me. I'm sick of rib injuries. It just seems like Paul DeYoung, he's almost on his way back, even though Sosa has been great in his absence. But then Harrison Bader hit with the rib. I'm sick of rib injuries for the Cardinals. Sounds like those would hurt, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. I've never had a broken rib, but I've had friends who've had broken ribs, and you can't even breathe without right. it being painful. Some tough sleeping you nights. You don't want to laugh Yeah. Or, God forbid, cough. Um, this is an easy one. I'm, I'm sick of the strikeouts. You know, doing games and why I go, I went watched a bunch of games last night. There's a strikeout after strikeout, and something has to be done. I mean, mm-hmm. it's just not as entertaining as it should be when you're watching baseball. And baseball is a great game, but man, oh man, the strikeouts! Holy smokes! And yesterday, Rodon, no one was going to hit that guy. It took Tommy Edmond yeah. to hit a home run. He was nasty. And he's just filthy. There, there's just so much velocity in the game right now. I don't know if you saw this the other day, Bud Black. They, they faced the Mets, and the manager of the Rockies came out, and he said, well, I've basically taken a look at all the pitches that we saw today, and, and DeGrom went five, and then the bullpen came in. Every pitch was 95 miles per hour or harder. <laughs> fastball. Every fastball yeah, yeah. was 95 or harder. So, you know, it's not, it's not the player's fault. It's just the game is changing. Right. These guys are throwing max effort and throwing as hard as they can. I'd love to see a team go back and say, okay, our, our philosophy is we're going to fi- uh, find strike throwers and we're going to find guys that can make the ball dance and locate and let's see what we can do. And they might get pounded, but I would be interested to see what would happen. I would be intrigued. 
Marty the Party is in for Emily. What do you got for us, sir? Thank you. 636, sick of it. Joe West, Angel Hernandez, CB Buckner, and all the other bad umps. I should never know the names of the umps when watching a game. Agreed. Totally agree with that. However, I had somebody uh, that I trust in baseball said that he spoke with four scouts and they and the, all four scouts it was joe west big night and they were talking mm-hmm. joe west was you know set the all-time umpiring record of games and they said if it was game seven of the world series i want joe west behind the plate mm. how about that interesting you know joe has just been a character i like the fact that he's a character we miss characters yeah. in the sport not randy character but characters, characters yeah. yes <laughs> uh we miss those guys he's entertainment i'm all right with it he does bring a certain flair that other umpires don't. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, 314, sick of the talk of whether we should re-sign Yachty every year. Why wouldn't you? He does so much for the pitchers in our defense. Let the man play until he wants to retire. I don't think it's a discussion about whether or not the Cardinals should resign him. It's whether or not will they be able to because he has options. I, I don't I don't know anybody who says, no, you don't want to sign him. Do you? Well, I, I want to see the I, – I would like to see how the year plays out. You know, if he can keep playing at this level at that age with the amount of wear and tear on the body. Now, there's no reason to think that he can't, but he's got to show it first. Right. And I'm talking about at the end of the season. I, at this point, it's a moot point. Right. You just wait because you can. Exactly. To find out what he's done this past season. I also think, what what did the texters say? Let him play until he doesn't want to? Well, then he's going to be playing until he's in the nursing home. So right, at some true. point, you're going to have to, if you are the Cardinals, put some parameters or put an end date on this because he'll play forever. 573, sick of all the NBA challenges. The games are taking almost four hours. Every little thing is being reviewed. That has changed things, especially <laughs> the, the last two minutes lasted forever anyway. And now you challenge every single play in the last two minutes, and it does take forever. It's a less desirable watching experience. Definitely. I thought, watch if you're watching the game, the baseball game yesterday, the challenges, that was bad. I mean, it was two in one inning, I think. Mm-hmm. You know, it was eating, going to third. That took forever. They just got to find, just look at it, make the call, and move on. That's uh, just get your get your views and be done with it. It's taking too long. And yeah, there has to be a time limit, and obviously, a limit the number of challenges in a game. Give every coach, every manager, two challenges, and limit them to ninety seconds max. And if they haven't made up their mind in ninety seconds, go back to with a call on the field. I would. I'm with you. Um, there's times too that, like for instance, the Cardinals are playing the Mets. It was the only game going on in Major League Baseball. So one of the things that there was a problem with at first, with the challenges, they go to New York and they have a set of, couple of umpires that are, uh, you know, okay, you got half the league, I got half the league, and there might be challenges at the same time. You know, they come right. to New York. This was the only game going on, and it took forever. Yeah. And it shouldn't be that way. Just they need to put restraints on themselves. 618, sick of McDavid getting bounced in the first round every year. He's the best player in hockey. I'd at least, I'd at least like to see him win a couple series. I think we all would, but except for the fact that we're in the same conference. and We'd like the Blues to win every year. But it took Steve Eiserman much longer than it has taken. McDavid's been around for six years, and they need to build that team. And in this era, it's hard for the Edmonton Oilers to build around Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl when they're both making $10 million a year. Whether it's... Connor McDavid or Mike Trout, I always want to see the very best in the game on the biggest stage. Me too. Me too. It'd be good for the sport. Exactly. It'll be interesting to see if Ken Holland is able to pull that off, though, in in Edmonton, because 
if your salary cap is at $81.5 million and you're paying two guys $20 million, then you have $60 million to get your other 22 players under contract. It's really difficult to, to pull off. And then just like we always say in sports, then then you come down to it from a fan's perspective. Is it worth paying that one individual that much money to watch him play even though you can't really build around him? It, it's interesting. We're going to hear from Doug Armstrong and Craig Ruby coming up at the 8 o'clock hour. But the Blues philosophy, they, they max out at $7.5 million, and they build a balanced team where they count on more than just one or two people. Thanks, Marty. Thank you. Coming up, we're going to head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Greg Amzinger went off last night about the Cardinal situation as well. He's next on 101 ESPN. Michelle, Danny Mac, and Randy, and each week we are honored to be graced by the presence of a Lindenwood University grad, a native of St. Louis, uh, a guy that Dan and I both worked with at KMOX. The one and only George Amzinger is with us on 101 ESPN. <laughs> yeah, you know what? Let me tell you something, Randy. I, I love like you watch so much MLB tonight. What I think needs to change is you deserve producer credit. Okay, our show is nominated for its eighth Emmy Award, okay? We've won seven for Best Nightly Studio Show. Folks, Randy Carricker will text me and be like, hey, Mike Schilt, great sound. Here's the quote. You want it in your show. And what, you know it. It's a, a whole huge segment that we have to put in our show. So I think Randy Carricker deserves producer credit. <laughs> of MLB tonight. He is that impactful on our broadcast every night. I, I appreciate that, and you just put it up on your shelf. I, I'll just have that knowledge. Uh, and by the way, uh, you, you have to tell us about George because people might be saying, what the heck? What's he saying? Alright, so I, I do a, a segment called Greg's List, spinoff of Craig's List, and I rank whatever I think is interesting. Well, with all these juniors, Vladdy Jr., Vladdy Guerrero Jr., Ronald Acuna Jr., Fernando Tatis Jr., they're taking over baseball. So I told a little story before I started the list, my top nine juniors in baseball, that I am still permanently insulted that I'm not Stephen Amsinger Jr. My dad had six boys in a row and then a girl. And he he would hold the baby and be like, no, no, no. Four of us, four of us were rejects. And the fifth one, he named... Steven Amsinger Jr. And these were game day decisions. These were, hey, Steve, do you want to hold your son? And he would hold the baby and look at it and be like, that's not quite uh, a junior. So I I was named his – I was given his middle name. I was not – I was a junior reject. I was not given his name. So my name was George. His middle name was George. So my name was George Amsinger for two and a half days. And my mom kept crying every time she held baby George. This is no offense to all of your listeners who have the first name George. And they had to redo all the paperwork because she's like, I can't have a son named George. So my middle name is, is George. Very detailed, but I felt like America needed to know That's that. Great. That's a great story, Greg. And I, I can't see you as a George. I'm with your mom here. I'm glad you're a Greg. Thank you. You know, I would agree with that. But uh, the director last night, Mark Deaver, who is really, I mean, he's kind of a jerk. We have one of the (laughs) rudest directors in all of sports TV. He put my name up after I told that story the rest of the night, George Amsinger. And and until I I saw that in font, I I didn't realize it actually looks good. And I never I never signed off on Greg. I think Greg is stale. What a terrible name, Greg. 
Uh, I, I always wanted I always wanted my name to be Anthony. I felt like I looked more like a Tony. So oh, that uh, anyway, hair, that hair is a Tony. Thank you, Michelle. I agree. Mm-hmm. And I so you want to be part of the mob. Of you want to be part of the mob. That's exactly right. I actually uh, in high school when I would go to parties at other schools like Francis Howell, Francis Howell North, the Zoom wall stand, I would actually lie and say my name was 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 Tony. Yeah, hey, yeah, my, my name is Tony. <laughs> Hopefully you weren't packing heat or any of these things, you know. You need to get, like, a button-down shirt, some uh, chains. You'd have fit right in. So, hey. I tried, man. I tried. The sideburns were long. The hair I get was it. thick. I tried. I get it. The segment that you guys had on the Cardinals and the situation surrounding con- uh, the substances that are on baseballs these days was great. And I love your point. It's It's kind of a situation where either you do it or you don't. Yes, yes. I think both guys were in the right. Um, Joe West in that moment, that isolated moment. I'm okay with it. Yeah, if you think there's a substance on on Gallegos's hat, then tell him to change the hat. He didn't kick him out of the game. Uh, but if you're going to do that, and you've been umpiring since 1976, and minutes after we do this live look in, or we we talk about this moment in Chicago where Mike Schultz comes out and is like, "Why was my guy this isolated moment where he, you know, he was kind of targeted for no reason?" And I'm watching every single game, managing, and I see so many pitchers doing so many other things. This makes no sense. You just opened up Pandora's box. Now you really got to police the game. I think Joe West was right in the moment, and I think Mike Schilt was spot on for what he said after the game. After we get done doing the segment, moments later, I'm going live inside the park to Pittsburgh where, where, where Craig Kimbrell's cap is dripping of something. I mean, it's the most disgusting cap I've ever seen. You see a huge spot of something on his bill, and, and we don't care. And those, that umpire crew is cool with it. I've watched – Numerous pitchers this year doing live look-ins where they are going to the laces of their glove, rubbing the back of their neck, constantly rubbing their forearm, rubbing their belt. I, you see it night in and night out. But for some reason, uh, Gallegos' cap was way over the line. We got we to gotta, we gotta actually police things. And, you know, I didn't say this on the air last night, but, but I, I, to me this makes the most sense. And I said it in the commercial break. We have the technology, law enforcement has the technology to walk in with this infrared and turn the lights off, and you can see where blood is all mm-hmm. over a house, right? It just shines. Why is it an umpire doesn't have a little, like, you know, a little mini radar gun where, yes, I get it. We don't want to slow the game down. You can't examine every pitcher's cap. You can't examine every pitcher's glove. It would take forever. But what if you just had a piece of technology on, on your holster where Yachty makes, you know, catches strike one, and the umpire goes, hey, let me see that ball. Uh, zaps it and sees gunk all over. He's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. There's pine tar all over this baseball. You're kicked out of the game. How come we don't have that technology? Because we should, and I think we could, in four seconds after a guy hits a home run, we know his exit velocity and we know how far the ball went. Yeah. So why can't we get a little – why can't we get something to zap a baseball immediately and know this pitcher is cheating? we got to get rid of all of it. It is an unwritten rule that is annoying me and it's been annoying me forever. My son is 11 years old. He's a pitcher. And at some point, daddy's going to have to sit down with him and teach him how to cheat. I'm going to have to teach him how to, to use pine tar and rosin with sunscreen. And I'm going to have to teach him how to get that super grip. And the other thing, I went off on Cliff Floyd, and I know I'm being lengthy. I apologize. What bothers me so much, the argument that I get, is that position players, hitters, have been bamboozled by pitchers. 
they, they have been sold this narrative that if a pitcher doesn't have incredible grip, if he's not cheating with a foreign substance and he can't super grip a baseball, the only outcome of that is he gets hit in the head. That's what Cliff Floyd said last night. Well, I want guys to have a grip because I don't want to get hit in the head. I go, why is that the outcome? of a guy not cheating with a baseball. How come the outcome is his spin rate isn't exactly great? He hangs his slider instead of a slider with an incredible bite that strikes you out, and the hanging slider over the plate is when you hit 450 feet to death for a home run. How come that isn't the outcome of pitchers not using grip and, and seeing substances? So I went off on it last night, and I, I don't think Cliff liked me for about 12 minutes, <laughs> but then we got over it. And by the way, this is all a product of technology and spin rate. Back in the day, the Cardinals glorified Steve Klein's cap. They had a Steve Klein cap day that had all the splotches of pine tar all over it. But we didn't know about spin rate then. But you, you're telling me that S- Steve Klein didn't have something on his cap to help him perform better? It was all Without clean. a doubt. I mean, one of my best friends in life is Dan Plesak. Back in the 80s, I mean, there was no – he was the oldest Chapman of relievers when he broke into the big leagues with uh, the Milwaukee Brewers. He, he openly admits that in 18 years of pitching in Major League Baseball, he says, Greg, don't ever go out there alone. He had substances all over him. Almost five different locations of his body had something he could go to in case the other one dried up. So he, he openly admits to this. That's ridiculous. And the whole argument of, oh, well, uh, if uh, pitchers can't use uh, substances to get grip of the baseball, then I guess batters can't use batting gloves or batters can't use pine tar on their bat. That's ridiculous. That's ri- a, a Hall of Famer is out seven out of ten times anyway. Anyway. So it's already advantage, advantage pitcher going in. Batters can't use baseball. steroids. Yes, exactly, exactly. So I, I just the narrative of if he doesn't use it, I'm going to get hit in the head. It's it's a testament to how smart pitchers are because they've outsmarted hitters for decades. Greg, I want to zag a little bit here, but it feels like we're airing out things that upset us. So I'm just going to jump on this bandwagon. The okay. Angels, okay, 22 and 27, they're fourth in the AL West. I know that they've dealt with injuries to Trout and Rendon, but the thing about the Angels is we've always wondered: Are they wasting Mike Trout's career? Are they going to waste Otani's too? Oh man, you know what? It, it, as long as he's an Angel, he's only got a couple of years left, and and at some point. You're going to have to wonder how many huge monstrous contracts can one owner give out to a mediocre team. It it is that crazy. And, look, this is a club that I don't see any relief in sight. Their their pitchers are just not getting people out. Uh, Canning was okay yesterday, and that was as quality of a quality start as the Angels have had in a while. Uh, they've won a couple games in a row. Justin Upton was put in the leadoff spot. He led off two games with a homer. But that's the kind of stuff that has to happen for this team to win 9-8. to eight. Uh, no matter what they do, they're going to give up runs. Their bullpen, other than Rysel Iglesias, it, it, is terrible. It, it's really bad, and it, it's been the ongoing narrative of the Angels for a long time. They spend all this money on position players, but they don't really invest in pitchers. And if you ask me, it, it, there was no, there's no way to explain the Angels getting outbid for Garrett Cole. Mm-hmm. There, there is there's no way to justify it. This is not bidding on a piece of real estate in Montclair, New Jersey, which, by the way, is going up in hotcakes. Man, I can sell my house <laughs> in a heartbeat, right? But they have bidding wars for houses. So, so you go, okay, um, five people want to bid on my house. I'm like, right, here's the deal. Uh, you give me your best offer. I told you what the, the, the sell price is. 
you give me your best offer. No one's going to know what the other offer is. So you might be bidding against yourself. That's how things work in real estate out here. So why did it feel like that with Garrett Cole? How come the Angels didn't say to his representation, hey, um, whatever the Ains or the Yankees offer, we'll give you a, a million dollars more a year. Just know that. Whatever they offer you, we'll pay you one million more. That's how badly we need you. Oh, by the way, your wife is from the area. All this will work out. They got financially outbid by the New York Yankees. It's shameful. They went with Anthony Rendon. They didn't need another bat. And without Garrett Cole, without Winday, the Angels signed up for at least five more years of mediocrity. So it's frustrating because, you know, I, I, I love to listen to my bad knee, Michelle, and I like to make predictions. I predicted the Angels would win the West. And, man, my bad knee is just looking like my thumb. My thumb is seriously infected, guys. It's got, like, a white bubble on it, and it's gross. It is so nasty. It's disgusting. I think I'm going to I think I'm gonna actually show it on the show tonight uh, because that, Zach Plesak busted his thumb, and my I think I'd trade my right thumb for Zach Plesak. That's how gross it is. I'm going to stump for a local guy here, and I, I hope he's going to start getting some national attention. But, as you know, Greg, doing all the games every night, um, I'm watching him play. And I'm not sure where the Cardinals would be without Tommy Edmond. Now, he hits a couple of home runs yesterday, which is fine. That's an easy guy to pick. But I'm telling you, man, the little things that he does for this team and the flexibility he's given this team through injury, he is one of the most valuable pieces of the puzzle for the Cardinals. And he's also really good. And I'm not sure he's getting a lot of national attention. You know, it's so great you say that because we were talking yesterday. If you go back and just watch Ben Zobris' early on career with mm-hmm. Tampa Bay Rays, it's eerily similar to what kind of quality he provided. Uh, him hitting two home runs yesterday is not shocking. The fact that he came in with two home runs on the year playing every day was, I think, I don't know what you think, Dan, I think down the line, this is a 20-homer bat. I think he can, can de- develop that way, switch hit. He's never in a matchup that you're not going to like. He makes contact. I love players like him. I, I just do. It's not just because of the defensive versatility. And, hey, listen, he's not going to win a gold glove in right field. He botched one the other day. But he can play out there. He can cover a lot of ground. He's a terrific athlete. He can steal you a base. He's a constant presence in the leadoff spot, which the Cardinals have lacked since Matt Carpenter was hitting home runs in the leadoff spot. I love the way he plays, and I want to see more players who don't want to strike out. Bingo. I mean, we've kind of overlooked the Yadier Molinas of the world, um, but Nick Madrigal, what he's doing with the White Sox, I absolutely love it. Um, you know, Nicky Lopez with the Kansas City Royals, giving them some versatility as a shortstop with uh, Mondesi out, and he just came back. Guys that do not want to strike out, I just think are so refreshing. And I think Tommy Edmond right now could be one of the MVPs of the team. We got to see those type of players rewarded. I don't know how you do it. You know, if, if you start going into arbitration and say, you know what, this guy had X amount of sacrifices. This guy hit behind the runners. So that is worth X amount of dollars. Oh, uh, yeah. You know, until you start seeing uh, those kind of things, it, it probably doesn't change. But these are the type of players that we want to watch. They're entertaining. That's what Whit Merrifield said. If you want to change baseball, you can't just pay the guys That's who right. have exit velocity and slug because now you're going to have everyone up there slugging. Look, at the end of the day, these guys are doing this for a living. They're not doing this just to entertain us. You know, their, their spouses are watching and they're bummed when they go 0 for 4, 4 strikeouts like our guy 
Brett Phillips, the World Series hero of the Rays, did last night, uh, four strikeouts. Why? He's up there swinging for the fences, man. I mean, all these guys know what gets them paid. When they go to arbitration, the team that employs them isn't going to say, yeah, I know he only hit 11 home runs and his exit velocity was the lowest on the team, but he's a winning player. Whit Merrifield doesn't strike out. He'll steal you a base. They don't mention any of that stuff now. So it's it, it, it's we've got to compensate, to your point, the players that do what it takes to win a game. I mean, to bring up RBIs in a season in an arbitration case, you'll get laughed at. That's right. And I'm sorry. That, that That is a skill. There are guys that know how to drive in a run. Last night in Miami, Reese Hoskins, runner at first and third, a scoreless game, one-two pitch, throws the bat essentially at a slider that was just off the plate, too close to take. Fly ball, right field, sack fly. This is stuff Reese Hoskins did not do two years prior. He's become a run producer. His manager told me that. He's become a run producer, and especially Real Muto and Harper out of the lineup. That's his job. He's got to swing the bat and try to get someone in. And making contact and getting the player home, scoring that valuable run, it's important. We need to pay the guys that do it well. Greg, you're the best. Uh, And I don't mind sitting in the balcony at the Emmys, by the way. (laughs) Well, I can get you in, man. I'll get you in. I can pull some strings, you know. I mean, you, you might have to be my date, so I'll tell wifey. Plus that, one, no that, problem. Yeah, you know, you'll be my plus one, and that will be. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, you're gonna have to style your hair. You can't show up in a, in a cardinal cap. You have to wear a nice outfit, and you have to style your hair. Okay? Ain't gonna happen. Fair enough. I'll, I'll go Greg Amzinger on everybody. <laughs> Can't wait to see that. I guess. Grow the sideboards. Grow the sideboards. Yeah. Have a great day. Thank you. Appreciate it. You guys are the best. See you. That's Greg Amzinger, MLB Network on 101 ESPN. Not George. Greg. I'm telling you, that's how you change the game. What do, you, what do yeah. I always say in sports and in life? Follow the money. Yeah. Yes. Right. So if you make it incentivized to, to have these guys, mm-hmm. you know, potentially be rewarded for doing things that are the little things in baseball, you might see a change. Maybe. We've got a quick take it or leave it coming your way next. Get your text into the Air Comfort Service text line 65780. Tioli, coming your way on 101 ESPN. Wake up with a steaming cup of sports. It's mornings with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Take it or leave it. Give us your feedback now by texting 65780. It's take it or leave it with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. Time for Tioli on 101 ESPN. Michelle, Dan, and Randy. Michelle, you mentioned the Angels in the last segment. Two nights ago, the Angels' number four hitter was Juan Lagares. Their number five hitter was Jose Iglesias. The Angels, and I know they're missing Mike Trout, but take it or leave it, even when Mike Trout's in the lineup, if you have to hit Juan Lagares fourth and... Jose Iglesias fifth, and they're regulars. They're everyday players for the Angels. You don't have a chance. I'm going to take that. Uh, on an everyday basis? Yeah. They're everyday players. Every uh, Everyday basis, yeah, you're in trouble. Yeah. Now, I'll, I'll say this. Edmundo Sosa was batting fifth yesterday for the mm-hmm. St. Louis Cardinals. Now, it's interesting, I think, how some managers are playing it this year. Let me give you an example. It would be like... Okay, we know we got to get guys' days off, right? You always got to get a guy a break. You got to get him a breather. If you can find a two-for-one where you get an off day on a Thursday and you sit him on a Wednesday, some managers are taking the the route of going, 
and I'm going to use this as an example. We haven't seen it in St. Louis, but I'm going to give Goldie and Arenado both the day off today. So I'm sitting both my big guys, mm-hmm. and I'm going to roll the dice. Instead of kind of patchworking, well, Arenado plays today, Goldie sits. Goldie plays that day, Arenado sits. It's interesting, lineup construction or, or days off, especially after last year, is being handled differently this year. But to your point, I think, Randy, I don't think you can win like that. Nope. I mean, in terms of those guys batting fifth in your lineup. You know, if you're going to play Sosa, and he's been red hot, don't get me wrong, he's been awesome. Um, occasionally at fifth, okay. But to have that in the long term of like four or five months, uh-uh. They need... Tyler O'Neill, the Cardinals do, to step up and be something close to what they expected him to be so that he can hit fifth. And he has been. Yeah. You know what? He's going to get his fair share of strikeouts, and he's going to walk into some bombs. And he's yep. been fine. And that's what you get. You, you want a guy that's a threat to hit the ball out of the ballpark. That's, and that's right. what he provides. Yes. Take it or leave it. After Mike Schilt's impassioned speech, response, I don't really know, monologue, what we want to call it last night, we're going to see an uptick in umpires checking for substances. I'm going to leave it. I think you're hitting it on the head, though, Michelle. You're 100% right because we're all kind of wondering, okay. Like, I, for instance, don't be surprised if I would bring it up tonight. I'd say, well, look at uh, uh, who's the guy going? Matt Peacock. Hmm. Something a little weird on his uh, belt. I guess they're going to check that. I mean, not, you've opened up the, the Pandora's box right. here. Yeah. So either you start checking everybody or you start doing it with logic. Yeah. What happened right. was Mike Schilt opened up a can of worms and baseball is going to dump that can of worms into a, a Tupperware bowl and put the lid back on it. I kind of agree with that. Yeah, I'm not so sure they're going to start checking everybody. But I, I wonder You're how, right. how they're having this discussion right. this morning when he's called them out publicly. It's the headline everywhere. It's on SportsCenter. It's a, a headline on ESPN.com saying, you're not checking everybody. And this is a dirty little secret in baseball. And if they've already put up the memo to teams, and it just seems like if you're baseball and this is something you do want to police, now is the time to go for it. Take it or leave it. I can't watch you or look at you with your thumbs taped. I'll take that. No, it's weird. ridiculous. I look ridiculous. <laughs> kind of like a pterodactyl or something. It does make me laugh. You're sitting there getting all impassioned. I'm trying not to laugh at you. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all right. A couple of texts, 65780. Marty, what do you got for I us? I apologize. That's good, Dan. From the 309, take it or leave it. The Cubs will trade Chris Bryant at the deadline. Ooh, good one. I'm going to take that. I'm, I'm going to take, take it. it. After suffering suffering the biblical losses last year, he's worked his way back into the multi-million, <laughs> multi-hundreds of millions of dollar contract, and I don't think they want to pay it. And he's back to being an MVP. Yep. Uh, he has figured it out. He worked on some things technically with his swing, and he is a flexible player. You know, if you wanted to put him at a DH, you want to put him at third base, you want to put him in left field, you put him in right field. He's going to be fine in all those spots, so he is a good player, I'm sure, at the trade deadline. He's made it a little bit more difficult for them. Doesn't it sure seem like the, the Cubs had a plan, though, and they're going to stick with the plan? I would say the Cubs have made it more difficult, not only for Bryant, but for their front office, because what do you do with Bryant? Uh, what do you do with Jock Peterson? What do you do with Baez? What do you mm-hmm. do with Contreras? These are all guys they got to sign. What do you do with Anthony Rizzo? And if you're hanging around, what's that tell your fan base if you dump these guys? And Not good. Fan favorites, too. Yeah. yeah. But if you're Jed Hoyer, you just go to the entire National League East, specifically the Braves, Mets, and Nationals, and say, okay, well, if you're the, you go to Mike Rizzo and say, yeah, I already talked to the, the Mets and the Braves about Bryant, so are you in? You want to you participate? Or just say, throw your best offers on yep. the table, and we'll figure it out. 
Take it or leave it. Reyes breaks the Cardinals single season save record this year. 48 by Trevor Rosenthal, correct? I would say yes. that uh, he's at, uh, what, 12, 13 already? No, he's got more than that. What's he got now? He's got 14. He was nasty yesterday. He is so much fun to watch. Electric. He's unhittable. He's so fun. He's unhittable. I mean, he gave up a base hit yesterday, but it's 14. not hard contact. Right. So we're just past the quarterway point of the season. Yeah. So, so 14, no, 30, 45, that'll give you 60. You, you, you think you're going to be a pretty good team, and they are. They can be when healthy. He's going to have a shot, potentially. Six, yeah, I think he's got a shot. One more? Yeah. 618. Um, the cards, excuse me, I lost it. I'm sorry. It happens. <laughs> Take your leave Memorial Day is the best barbecue holiday. I'm going to leave it, and I'm going to throw 4th of July in the mix. I'm going to take it. I'm going to say that Memorial Day is the best because you have so much stuff going on on 4th of July on with fireworks and going around. Memorial Day is a day just to spend the entire day barbecuing. Low and slow on those ribs. I am with Michelle. I enjoyed my first 4th of July last year because Um. of the shutdown in 25 years. I was with my family. We got to barbecue. We uh, We went fishing. We had fireworks it was awesome great it was so much fun it's a blast and fourth of july barbecues are a little elevated because you have things that are themed you have the cake that has the strawberries and the blueberries in the shape of the american flag all sorts of stuff like that yeah get on the bandwagon come on bro i'm just talking specifically about barbecuing yeah what are you making this weekend all day long are you so I, I think I'm going to get some ribs from okay. our friends with the Schnooks Butcher. Ooh, and, nice. yeah, do some low and slow ribs for me. What do you put them on? What's your temp? About 190? Yeah, they're going to be on the Traeger. Yeah. So, yeah, I've never done them on the Traeger. So this okay. will be something new and exciting. I'll keep you up to date. Thank you. Send out pictures and stuff like that. Need Thank that. you, Marty. Thank you. Coming up next on 101 ESPN, is that five-year window for the Blues still open? Doug Armstrong talked about that yesterday, and you'll hear it next on 101 ESPN. Is a- It's 8.06, your time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. Michelle, Dan, and Randy yesterday, Doug Armstrong and Craig Berube talked to the media about the Blues season and the Blues poho and general manager was asked if that three-year window that he opened with the trade of Ryan O'Reilly to win a Stanley Cup championship is still open. Well, I think when we brought in those players a couple of years ago, we said we thought we had a potentially a five-year window. That's year three of it, so I do think it's open. So it, it's going to be difficult. Obviously, the the way the league the, the way the league works, Jimmy, and I think we all know it. Uh, you know, over the last uh, decade, uh, this group uh, has averaged a little over 103 points a season, which is commendable. And in that last decade, Colorado's had four top four picks and uh, I think six top ten picks. So uh, they're they're primed and they're going to be good for a while. I think you look at the Toronto Maple Leafs. You know what they're you look at their team right today. Uh, with the number of, of top five picks, they're going to be good for a while. So the way that we have to be good is, uh, as I said, team and pack mentality, and, and uh, we'll have to assess how we can get better under that format. We we don't have an answer internally for McKinnon or, or McDavid or Crosby or Ovechkin. These guys are our number one overall picks or top picks, and the way that we have to build our team and the way we have to continue to do it is by by believing each other, supporting each other, and understanding that uh, individually we're, we can't get it done. We have to do it as a group. 
Makes sense. They they are hopefully not going to be in a position in the near future to draft number one overall or number two overall and get a McDavid or a McKinnon. And Army talked about the misery that Avalanche fans had to go through having four top five picks over the course of seven or eight years and how bad they had to be for a long time to build the team that they have. Well, and you look at the McDavid situation, clearly one guy can't get it done. McKinnon is obviously a star and can take over a game, but he has a complete team around him. And I think Army's approach is correct, saying that every person on this roster is going to have to contribute for them to be a winner. But I'm curious what you guys think. Do you put the window open at two years? Because it feels like maybe that timeline has adjusted a little bit for I me. think they're going to have to get creative. Yes, depending I, I, on the moves they make. I love that you, you got O'Reilly still here. You got Shen here. Tarasenko, I'm going to assume, is coming back. Uh, they're, they're, they're gonna, to me, though, they've got to find, and they had him, and he's gone, but they got to find a frontline defenseman, and they've got to be able to clear in front of the net, and it's got to get more physical there. I found his comments to be really interesting where he said we got three players that played championship caliber mm-hmm. and the rest did not yeah and i also think though guys that it's been such a weird year and a half specifically for for all of us obviously but in as we talk pertaining to hockey going in the bubble like i i love that team before covid hit mm-hmm. i thought this is this is shot to win they got a chance yeah. and the bubble hit obviously that was awful and then you look back at this year petro leaves um steen retires i mean they've had a lot of guys that they've lost that they need to replace that have been fixtures for this franchise um so i i think the 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 five-year window was here was there and they got hit with the most odd toughest of circumstances in the year and a half at the prime of that window i really believe that i don't believe they need to do dramatic things now one of the things that can change this window dramatically is Robert Thomas being what everybody in hockey thought he was going to be. If Thomas and Cairo ascend, and Pareko, and I said this yesterday, Dan, tell me if you think this is correct. Krug and Falk weren't the replacements for Alex Petrangelo. Colton Pareko is the replacement for Alex Petrangelo. And he wasn't Physicality this year. Wise. Yeah, I, and just her, with his ability to control a game. We've seen his ability to control a game in the past with his ability to handle the puck, with the, with the shot, with his ability to get back and play defense. And he just didn't do that this year in large part because of the injury. I, I got to wonder, too, is the five-year window there post-COVID because of what's happened with the salary cap, too? You know, when you're when you're in that position of Doug Armstrong or John Mozeliak and Michael Gersh or others in sports, they're they're projecting salaries out for five years. You know, they're saying, "Hey, we like this guy, and if we keep him, this is what we think the market will bear going forward. And if we do that, we're under the cap, and we can keep this. Maybe let that guy go. This is how it all fits." Now, post COVID, when you gave those guys deals prior to COVID, understanding that maybe the cap would grow a little bit, and now you know it hasn't. I wonder if that does change their mindset. And, of course, not only do you project salary, but you pr- project performance with that salary. And to which your point with us- Thomas and Kairu Ky- right. and others. Yes. And Vladimir Tarasenko. Yeah, I think that the season when, when he got back in, uh, it was going to be a work in progress for the year. I, uh, Vladdy's a tremendous competitor. Uh, he worked extremely hard off off the ice to get ready, but it's it's still extended amount of time off. And uh, uh, we saw flashes of... of uh, uh, a 25-year-old Vladdy Tarasenko, and, that, and and I know he's going to put the work in. And uh, uh, but like any player at, at his age, or at, you know, you always have to evolve, and your game has to 
uh, a change to stay current and and not just Vladdy but a lot of guys are going to have to evolve their game to today's NHL and but I I respect Vladdy I know he works hard and, and he's a good human being and a good person I know he wants the best and you know, part of it going over the world championship shows his love and passion for hockey he wants to play what do you think I think it's I don't very, have confidence. It's very difficult to expect more from Vladimir Tarasenko than we've seen. I think our expectations have been disproportionate to reality. The expectation was that we would see a Vladimir Tarasenko who can take over a game. This is a guy who is of a certain age and who's coming off three separate surgeries and has had an inconsistent amount of playing time over the past couple years. And I think once you've seen a player be great, you're always going to hold them to a certain standard. And I think with Vladimir Tarasenko, that's unrealistic right now. Maybe you got to change the expectations. Exactly. Understand that age, wear and tear, the, sh- the surgeries on the shoulder have made him a different player. But with all that said, we do have expectations for you to get to this level which I think he can get to a better level. I I do believe that because, as Doug said, and I agree with him, there are flashes there that you see it, and all of a sudden, sometimes he disappears for two weeks. He's on the ice, but he's not a factor. Yeah. Now, last night, the Islanders won a series at home, uh, a playoff series at home for the first time in 28 years. Buffalo has not made the playoffs in 10 years. Ottawa has been terrible. And Armstrong was asked, hey, do you want to go back and do that? I guess define rebuild, uh, define rebuild and trade everybody and pick in the top four or five for five or six years. I I don't think anyone has the appetite for that today. Uh, But then I just need to sit down with the ownership group, Mr. Stillman, talk about the window that that I believe we created three years ago give him my opinion on why it's still open and then obviously he loves hockey he's got passion for the game he understands the game uh and we we can digest and uh make a game plan but when you talk rebuild that's a long long process that uh we're lucky that we have a great fan base here in st louis that they understand it uh but it's it it can be difficult doing As I, I went back to the, like the Colorado method of, of having four top four picks, that that's a lot of 60 to 75 point seasons, you know, 80 point seasons. It's a it, it's a process that that when when you sit here on on a on a May day and say we're going to start a rebuild, it, it it sounds like it's it's not that bad. But when you're in year three of it, and and your teams had had you know 65 70 points that's a rebuild and, and that's what I have to talk to ownership about if their desire is to go that way then we'll go that way my, my feeling right now is it's not necessary to take that type of uh, draconian step it's absolutely not necessary and oh by the way <clears throat> if you weren't around 15 years ago I was just going to bring that up we have seen what yes. happens to blues crowds when they rebuild I remember specifically Brett Hall Knight Mm-hmm. at uh, Enterprise, and place was packed. It was the Mike Kitchen era, and it was it was awful. It was the first packed house they had had in months, probably years. Yeah, they used and to give away free food. Detroit was in town, and the place was rocking. It was it was they were all excited. It was Brad Hall night. They raised the the sixteen to the Rafters, and then the game happened. Yep, <laughs> and they were down like four nothing within. I don't know, 10 minutes of the game yep. and half the building left. That was a rebuild. And look, if you're a fan out there, can you take it? Can you stomach it? Do you want it? 
to understand what you have on the on the and by the way it doesn't always work to where you get back on the other side and there's light at the end of the tunnel you got to be able to have some luck you got to draft properly you got to develop all those things it ain't fun and you don't have to do that with this team no i would not think that that's a step that needs to be taken and to your earlier point dan the blues had an amazing shot to repeat before the bubble that disrupted them yes they lost a lot of important pieces but i still look back at this team and they dealt with so many injuries and still so many things so much residue during this COVID era where they're having to get tested every day the travel was different the construction of the schedule was different you had games that were getting called off day of and all of those seem like excuses but i also don't think this team this currently constructed team ever really had a fair shot to become what they could have become i would agree with that i I think you know it's unfortunate that it happened that way and all those reasons you gave are are so legitimate and that's why i'd say if you if i'm sitting in doug armstrong's shoes this is just me personally i'm going to ownership and saying you know give us at least one more year with this group now i understand we're in year three going to four of the re of the championship window but if everything you said michelle is 100 percent right and we can say those are excuses those are also reasons why you did not get to the level that you thought the travel this year was very tough the injuries have been brutal. The COVID situation. Let's see what we look like coming out of a normal training camp, a normal season, and get the pieces in place to have a quote-unquote normal year, which they will have. Coming up on 101 ESPN, we want to hear from you, more of your reaction to putting substances on baseballs by pitchers in MLB and yesterday's Mike Schilt reaction. That's coming your way on 101 ESPN. Okay, the rule was Michelle had to do the whole show had to do the whole show with her thumbs taped so that she didn't have opposable thumbs. We didn't say the whole morning, so we did allow Michelle to go to the restroom uh, with, with the... I think it's cheating. I kind of think it is, too, but the show would not be as entertaining for us. Well, what do you want me to do? We're doing 75 hard. Do you want me to not hydrate? Also, I made the mistake of wearing button front jeans today. So there's no way that I would have been able to do that in the three minutes allotted for a commercial break. With no thumbs. I'm impressed. Doing the show with no thumbs. I just say you got to deal with it. Let's go. Step it up. You know what? You're right, Dan. And I won't do that again. (laughs) Uh, We'll just hold it until 10 o'clock. Me being the moderator of this will allow you to take off the tape so you're allowed to go to the restroom. It's very difficult to try to um, get back in your seat. Get back in my seat here. <laughs> Our chairs, I struggle getting in the chairs. They're very high and you feel like you're in a high chair and yes. then you got to move in. Yeah, it's not easy. Wobble and yeah. scoot. It's difficult. And thumbs are a key component of that. No so. doubt. Sorry if I look awkward today. Just don't put any uh, rosin on your thumb. Will that help, though? You know, it could. On the fingertips, grabbing a piece of paper, you That's know, right. get some uh, stick them to it. And I, too, am concerned about melanoma. So sunscreen is always in go. the mix. There you go. Yesterday, Giovanni Gallegos of the Cardinals with his cap taken away. And I would have been mad if I were Giovanni because you like your cap. And we talked to Adam Wainwright yes. about how much effort you put into making your cap perfect. And they just bring him out another random cap. And if he wears the same one all season, it's pro- we're a quarter perfect. of the way through. It's probably really seasoned and broken in well. And... Yeah, now he has to start from scratch. It stinks. I was interested with his first breaking ball. I, I just wanted to see what kind of movement he had mm-hmm. with it, and it was filthy. Yeah, <laughs> it made no difference. He struck out the the two guys that are the hottest in their lineup, Abreu and Mercedes. Boom, boom, 
Yeah. Strike out, you know, with a couple guys on or whatever it was, and off to the next inning. Bullpen was sensational yesterday. And we want to hear from you. What did you think of Mike Schilt's rant? And, oh, by the way, it lasted nearly nine minutes. We played different cuts of the Mike Schilt rant. And I thought it was great that Bally Sports stuck with it for the entire press conference because it was compelling television. It was interesting to listen to. And that's his way of getting it out, you know, is going on those post games and, and letting the fans hear what he had to say. And I appreciate that out of him. I appreciate that he was very transparent and impassioned and wanted to make sure that he got his point across. And sometimes it takes more than two minutes to make sure you get the full yeah. context there, so especially on a nine. on a tricky or a sticky issue like this. <laughs> so we had asked him, Michelle, on a private Zoom with just some of the broadcasters about this issue. This is two or three weeks ago. We had said, hey, what, what's going on? You know, baseball's policing these things. And he said, you know what, I don't have enough time to explain this to you guys. But he gave us like the the Cliff Notes version. Yesterday was enough time. So he was trying to bite his tongue. He said, look, guys are doing it. It's across the board in Major League Baseball. As long as it's not egregious, you know, we're trying to to do what we've always done, you know. And and you're going to see these kind of things. And then yesterday when that happened, that set him off. And I thought he gave a great explanation as to what was going on. I did. You guys want to hear from some people, some texts? From the 573, I noticed Geo's hat during Sunday Night Baseball. They did a couple of close-up shots, and I wondered about it. Then sure enough, a few days later, it gets brought up. You have to wonder if umps were made aware after that fact. I was wondering, watching Sunday Night Baseball about Craig Kimbrell's, Mm -hmm. um, or over the weekend whenever he pitched, whichever game that was, but he's got it too on his hat. And I'll be paying more attention, I'm sure our listeners will as well, when you're watching the game. Hey, is he is he going to his wrist? Is he going to the glove? Does he touch the side of the, you know, the pant leg? Does he go to his hat? I'm gonna start paying attention to all of it. But like you mentioned earlier in the show, Dan, anybody who plays golf wearing a baseball cap, you play 18 holes, and you're gonna be tugging on that bill of the cap, you're gonna have a stain on the top of the bill. Normally, that's where you go. Yeah, you go right to the middle of the cap. I'm wearing one now. Every time I wear it, I'm going to the middle. Can I see yeah. that cap, Dan? I think sure, we might it's... need to have you remove it and have it rechecked. <laughs> From the three one four. In my career, I wasn't a pitcher, but I was a catcher. Even if pitchers weren't putting stuff on themselves as a catcher, a lot of us would put substances in our gloves. It's not always the pitcher. I'm just saying, and that was just in college. Well, you know, sometimes balls actually baseballs get uh, stuck to a chest protector. But that's got nothing to do with substance. That's just the the natural stickiness. It's kind of like magnetism of minute. the ball what? to the chest protector. Mm-hmm. Huh? Mm-hmm. And that only happens, it would never happen to something like the Cardinals. No, never. Stuff never happens with the Cardinals. Never. They wouldn't do that. Come on, never. From the 618, excellent rant by Mike Schilt. I loved every second of it. A manager stepping up for his player, and all caps, love it. I do too. Me too. I mean, you know, the the job of a man, of a manager is to put your players in the best position to win, and that's clearly first and foremost to win the game. But with all the media that is out there, and uh, and the things that you could say or what a player says, you protect your players. And if you can't protect them, you're going to lose the clubhouse, and then you're fired. And I guarantee you, because he did the press conference with a pen in his hand, obviously that after he got tossed, he went back and he had an outline for everything that he was going to say because that was really a well-thought-out, well-planned soliloquy. I can tell you, being on these Zooms and being in press conferences with Mike, he is very prepared on anything that's coming his way. Could be an issue in the sport, could be a societal issue that he may be asked about or a, a question about his player. 
it's well thought out. It, and but the bottom line is he is going to protect his ultimately his teammate, mm-hmm. and that's what he does. Uh, from the six one eight. Speaking of the pen, the way he held the pen, it reminded me of a teacher scolding the class for not doing well on a test. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Well, he used to be a teacher. Well, there you go. He was a teacher. I at one can point. so see that. Yes, I so, could too. And Major League Baseball was the student. I would think so. <laughs> I would definitely think so. I mean, honestly, if you're if you're Rob Manfred this morning and you're competition committee, you got to be on the phone saying, "How are we going to handle this?" At least I would be. You know, it, this is a random instance with somebody that wasn't egregious, mm-hmm. and we're called out on this. We know what the dirty little secret is in the sport. How are we going to handle this today? I wonder if Tony is on the com- competition committee still. I have no idea. Good I don't question. either. He was. Yeah. When, when he wasn't a manager, I don't know if he still is. Uh, one more for you guys from the 636. I pitched all the way through D1, and I always with, messed with my hat or touched my pant leg as a comfort rhythm thing, like a superstition. So is that going to be stopped too? Well, the other thing too is so many guys go to their mouth. Now, you can't do it when you're on the mound. can't do it when, you know, so if you're off the dirt, you can lick your fingers, and then you're supposed to wipe it off the pant, off on your pant leg, and uh, and then you can go back. But a lot of times guys would go to the mouth and then kind of touch their cap and then go back to the mound. I mean, it just happens out of – the the t- millions of times that guys have been doing it to his point there is a rhythm to that if you ingest sunscreen is that dangerous i'm sure in mass quantities yeah okay but like yeah, why you would you ask it. that because like if you have sunscreen like on your arm and then you go to your mouth because oh. that's one thing that Shilty said is that guys will have these substances and then not go to their mouth he said gallegos does all the time Starting your day with a warm cup of sports. We're back to Carriker and Smallman, broadcasting live from the Car Shield Studio on 101 ESPN. Welcome to the fight on Carriker and Smallman. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Carriker. Welcome back to 101 ESPN. It's Michelle Smallman. It's Danny Mac. And it's Randy Carricker, who, as you know, is Megamind. And every day he competes in a sports trivia competition called The Fight. And it's time for The Fight. Hello, Steve. Good morning to you. Good morning, Danny Mac. How are you? I'm doing great. What do you do for a living, Steve? I knew you were going to ask me that. I'm a utility worker. Awesome. Thanks for all your help throughout the shutdown. I'm sure you've been busy. And uh, let's go, Steve, because I want you to beat Randy. I know you do. I appreciate it. You got it. Let's team, go. Team Steve. And we you sh- got it. We should know, because people might be curious, yesterday Ryan beat Randy, so normally Ryan would be coming back today to challenge Randy again and get one step closer to the Hall of Fame, but Ryan got pulled in a meeting, hey, and life happens. Life life comes at you quick. Yes, it does. So, Ryan, good luck with that meeting. But, Steve, it's your chance to shine. You ready? I hope so, yes. All right, question number one. The Cardinals have a four-game set with Arizona that starts tonight. Randy Johnson and Brandon Webb are the franchise one and two when it comes to all-time wins. Who is third? Is it Patrick Corbin, Kurt Schilling, or Zach Greinke? Zach Greinke. Adam Vinatieri was the uh, or is the NFL's all-time leading scorer. He retired yesterday. Who is second on that list? Would it be Morton Anderson, Gary Anderson, or Jason Hansen? Morton Anderson. The Nuggets and Blazers, their game three is tonight. Leading that series in scoring is Damian Lillard. Which college, college did Damian Lillard attend? 
Montana, Weber State, or College of Charleston? Uh, let's see. Flip a coin. How about B? Sure. Matt Harvey was the starting pitcher for the National League in the 2013 All-Star Game. Who started for the AL on the uh, bump in that contest? Was it Max Scherzer, Bartolo Colon, or Matt Moore? Matt Moore. Okay, All right. checking our score here. Yep, yep. All right, Randy's on his way back in here. Or actually, no, he's not. Someone needs to get his attention because he's chit-chatting with somebody else. Hey, come on, Randy. Let's go. Don't keep Steve waiting. <laughs> Steve, do you feel confident after you completed the fight? Let's I go. Talking to the GM. I don't care. Does he know it's time to fight, Randy? We've got business here. Yeah, he knows business. it's time to fight. Randy, you remember Ryan? He beat you yesterday. Oh, I forgot. Well, Ryan got pulled into a meeting. You didn't so, forget. so say hello to Steve. <laughs> hey, Steve, how you doing? Doing great, Randy. How are you, sir? I'm doing well. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Yes, sir. Okay, Randy, the Cardinals, they have a four-game set with Arizona that starts tonight. Yes. Randy Johnson and Brandon Webb are the franchise one and two when it comes to all-time wins. Who is third? Third all-time for the D-backs. You know, Kurt Schilling did have, I believe, a couple of 20-win seasons for them. They really have not had anybody great in the last four or five years that I recall. Um, have they had anybody that's lasted a long time there in front of the rotation guy? I'm going to go, I'll do the lifeline. Is it Patrick Corbin? Is it Kurt Schilling or is it Zach Greinke? I'm going to go with the uh, Greinke was only there for like three years. I think I'm going to go with feeling a 102-03. I'll go with Kurt Schilling. All right. Adam Vinatieri, the NFL's all-time leading scorer. He retired yesterday. Mm. Who is second on that list? All-time leading scorer? That's correct. I will go with Morton Anderson. Randy, the Nuggets and the Blazers, their game three is tonight. Leading that series in scoring is Damian Lillard. Which college did Damian Lillard attend? Damian Lillard. I have no idea. Um, you only get one lifeline, right? Yeah, Correct. And he already burned it. Yeah. So I'll say Cal. Okay. Matt Harvey was the starting pitcher for the National League in the 2013 All-Star Game. Who started for the American League on the bump in that contest? I'm going to go with Our Town's Max Scherzer. Ooh. It was close. This one was close. Marty, tell him who won. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. The fight sponsored by Ryan Kelly and HeroLoan.com. Check out how they help veterans and service members at the new and improved <laughs> HeroLoan.com. Oh, there he goes with the, with the Sosa celebration. At first, Randy had his hands in his pockets, just looked over at Dan and gave a casual shrug. Like it was no big deal. No Dan big went, thing. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I want Steve. I know. And it was close. It came down to the final question, but Randy just edged you out, Steve. Three to two. Three to two. It's hard to beat Megamind. It is. Oh, stop, Steve. You had a great effort, Steve. We're proud of you. Okay, so R Brandy Johnson and Brandon Webb are the... Diamondbacks 1-2 when it comes to all-time wins. And Kurt Schilling is three on that list. Morton Anderson, and you both got this right. He is the uh, second all-time leading scorer in NFL history. Damian Lillard 
and Steve got this right, Randy, because he went with option B, is Weber State. And ah. Matt Harvey did start for the National League, the Dark Knight in 2013. That was at City Field in it New was. York. Max Scherzer went for the American League wearing a Detroit Tiger uniform. All right. Go, Max. Steve, thanks for Steve listening. Thanks for lost. playing. We appreciate you. Thanks, Steve. Steve with us on 101 ESPN. Thank you, Steve. Steve pinkled you. Yeah, he did. It's okay. He was. He called me Megan Mind. I'm good with him. Yeah, it's good. We're, we're good. Whatever. I pull for the I pull for average show listener. I can't help I it. Do. I like the underdog. I want Max Scherzer to pitch for the Cardinals. Me too. But Who doesn't? Maybe him. Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing that holds him to St. Louis anymore. I don't care. I don't Bring know. him back. I still yeah, want but, to see it. But if you do it, it, it's no different than getting a guy that pitched in his high school ball in Ames, Iowa, and for the University of Iowa now, because. It, the only thing that would bring him back, he, he lived the first half of his life here. But that's it. There's no family here anymore. There's, There's emotional ties of his hometown team. I'll say, too, when you grow up a Cardinal fan and you understand what it means to put on that uniform, that doesn't just go away. Well, also, though, Michelle, to counter that, the zeros on the check, that has yeah. an effect. Bingo. Bingo. That's what has de- made him develop an emotional attachment. Mm-hmm. And that's why he's... Heck, the Lerner family wants him to be the Nationals' first Hall of Famer. And he's going to wear the curly W, right? When he goes to the Hall of Famer, he's wearing that cap. But I I wonder if they want him to finish his career there. The Lerner family. I think so, too. Just like the Cubs, though, they're going to have some decisions coming up with their squad as to what to do. They've got so many backloaded deals. Yep. I mean, a lot of money. They owed a ton of players. And they've obviously got the young players in Turner and Soto that they're going to have to pay. Got to pay them. Yeah. Soto cannot leave there. Turner shouldn't leave there either. No. Next up, we're going to talk to JR, Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues insider from uh, The Athletic about yesterday's press conferences from Craig Ruby and Doug Armstrong. JR is next on 101 ESPN. It's time for the Rutherford Report on 101 ESPN. Anything you folks want to know about the fascinating world of pro hockey, here we go. We're all fired up because Jeremy Rutherford has decided to join us in studio yes. for the JR wow. Report. Good morning. How are you doing? Good morning. You know, I thought this was going to be easy, just drive up to the studio, but uh, 270 right now for anybody who's sitting in it is an absolute parking lot. And Randy, the one time during the fight that I needed you to say, well, in 1961, no, 62, no, <laughs> I'm sitting there waiting for you to do that, but you had the answers right away. And I could have gone up through every school in America and not come to Weber State <laughs> until I got to like number 300. Mm. Hey, it could have been a WNBA question. Oh. Yeah, I don't do WNBA. Well, you listen a lot. <laughs> Every day. Long-time he's, listener. He's a, lawyer, he's a First what time we, what we call studio a joiner. Yeah. That's right. So yesterday, 40 minutes is the amount of time that Doug Armstrong spoke to the media. And by the way, it was about 20, a little over 20, right, for Craig Berube. Yeah. So a lot of information. What was your biggest takeaway from what you heard yesterday? Well, a number of things. But uh, the one thing that you guys talked about earlier and had some good sound bites from Army on was – retool, rebuild, stick with the same program. What is it? And I was just interested to hear Doug Armstrong say that, uh, you know, they're not going to give up this fight. They feel like they're still a contending team. However, he did say, I'm going to go to ownership. And if they think that a rebuild is something they want to look at, then, you know, we'll, we'll have to talk about it. 
I don't think they're going that way. I think Doug Armstrong made it clear that he's going to tell them that his feelings are they don't go that way. But just the fact that he brought it up, I thought, was probably the biggest takeaway yeah. yesterday. Yeah, that surprised me, too. But when Doug Armstrong pulls out that list of needs for this team, what do you think is at the top? Yeah, I think it's a number of things. First of all, I think that they feel like they have the core still. And I think they do. I think there's some good players in this core and they have to win now that's the biggest thing because these guys who they have signed for six seven years you know they're going to be 33 34 still with a couple years left on those deals so they need to win now i think that's another factor in in sticking with the program Uh, but in terms of what do they need on the ice i think you have to have guys willing to go to the net and that's on both ends of the ice it's the net front offensively too much perimeter uh, you're not going to score goals that way. You look at this Colorado series, you know, who's standing in front? Landeskog. And the Blues are doing nothing about it. So that transitions me into the other need is somebody defensively who's willing to do that. Look, I get the NHL today is skilled, speed, even defensively. Look at the Cal McCars of the world. Would you love to have a guy like that? They, they get the puck out of the zone. You know, if you got a Tory Krug and a Colton Preco that can get the puck out of the zone, great. But if they're not doing that... You get hemmed in. Now you have other teams with their net front presence. You got to get them out of the way. The Blues don't have that on either end. So you get a five-year window. Is it fair to evaluate the middle of this window when COVID hits and you had to go into a bubble? Because we're talking. I'm sure you're listening. You know, prior to COVID hitting, they looked like a championship team. I mean, they were they were rolling and they were a number one seed. And then all of a sudden, COVID hits. And then this wacky schedule this year. And all of a sudden, the other thing, too, that I was going to ask you about, so that's number one, but number two would be how um, the parameters of what you can pay people has changed, too, because of the cap. So does that change what you do with your five-year window? Yeah, and since I do listen every second of the day, I did hear how you put it earlier today, and well said. Like, I really do think that team that was number two in the NHL standings going into the pause. I was there in Anaheim. They were playing great, you know, that, that, that team at that point in time. I think they would have had a pretty good shot at winning another cup, if not winning the cup, at least finishing Final Four. And then who knows what happens there. You you build off that. You know, COVID's affected a lot of people, and we shouldn't put sports at the top of that list, you know, other people's lives. However, this changed the destiny of the Blues. I really do think it did. Now the thing is it changed it for everybody, and you just have to react. And now that's what Doug Armstrong and the organization are going to have to do. When I look back at this season, as Dan mentioned, so many obstacles, but I tend to wonder what this team would have looked like at full strength if you didn't have to constantly deal with wave after wave of injuries. If Colton Pareko was healthy the entire season, what would he have looked like? What would this defense have looked like? And I think that that makes this evaluation a little bit more difficult for Army in the immediacy of trying to decide what you're going to do moving forward. Yeah, I think it's a great question, and I think that's definitely what they're facing. Are you guys counting good questions? Yes, we are. (laughs) (laughs) I think that... uh, I think that that's what they're facing. I, I really do. And, and, you know, it goes beyond just the, the health. It goes it goes to the level of Tory Krug bringing his family with his wife and his daughter, Sailor, out to an event, and they get to meet the other families. And, you know, the guys going out to the bars, and, you know, Dan can attest to this with uh, the baseball guys when they get together on the road. And I, I just think if that's there, there's just this next level of team camaraderie. And, and I know that's the case with 
all teams, you know, hockey, baseball, football. But as Doug Armstrong said yesterday, and you guys heard on the sound bites, he said that we're a team. We don't we don't have these superstars. We have to build our success on guys coming together and wanting to play for each other. And it's hard to do that when you don't have that camaraderie. Then you throw in the fact what you just mentioned, the injuries, and you know, it, it separates them even further. JR there are some guys that are going to be here. Vladimir Tarasenko is going to be here. Marco Scandella is going to be here. There are, there are guys that I don't think are necessarily movable on the part of the Blues. But I also don't think that they need to make big moves. Because to me, if you have, you, you get Sunquist back. And I, Army talked yesterday, and so did Barubi, about how you can do anything with him. If you have a line of Shen, Tarasenko, you bring Schwartz back. And you've talked about bringing him back at a lesser cost. You, you need Thomas to ascend. He, Thomas is one guy who can go to the net. He's not a little fella. And he's one guy that you need to have do that. But if you have Thomas, Costin, Cairo, and then you have obviously O'Reilly, Perron, and I think you could put a guy like uh, Oscar Sundquist with them, I think you need a fourth-line guy with the skill set that Alexander Steen had. And like you said, you need somebody who's capable of taking out a forward that's standing in the crease. I don't think that this is even close to an overhaul. I think this is much closer to tweaks. And if you could get a top six power forward, that'd be great. But I don't know that the Blues financially, unless they're moving on from Schwartz and can find somebody, I don't know that they're going to be able to do that. Should I tell him good question? No, 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 no. That's no. okay, Okay, Jared. that was uh, an okay <laughs> question there, Randy. No, I think, Randy, that uh, you're dead right. And you've been talking about the fourth line and needing, you know, I heard you ask uh, Doug Armstrong about it yesterday, needing something from that fourth line. And you're absolutely right. That's what made the difference with that team a couple years ago, 2019. I just think that sometimes it's hard to come by – uh, that type of line where you can afford to put a Sunquist on the fourth line, where you can get a Steen to accept a role on a fourth yep. line. So it doesn't happen often, but I do think the parts are there with the Blues that if everybody's healthy and everybody's playing well, you know, you can have a Sunquist on the fourth line. You can have a Barbashev down there. You know, if Sammy Blaze clicking, you can play him on the right line, on the right side on that fourth line. I like what you said about the Blues lineup, and I do think that can be a formidable team. I just think that you need those young guys that you touched on. Thomas and Kyrou have to produce. And Costin, too. Costin as well. All three of those guys. And the fact of the matter is the Blues have not had an awful lot of success with their youngsters. When you look at how much they loved Zach Sanford when they got him, when you look at uh, the Tage Thompsons of the world, Dominic Bach hasn't done anything yet. We don't know if he will. They really have not developed a, a guy that's turned out to be a young star. And, Randy, it's going to be even tougher without the development year for these younger prospects coming in the next couple of years. Yeah. So who do you think they'll lose in the expansion draft? I know you've done this multiple times for The Athletic, and you always read JR's great work at The Athletic. If you were to pick today, who do you think that Seattle would take? Yeah, it varies. I think I've done like 16 takes on this uh, over the past three years. Uh, but I, I think you look at a guy like Ivan Barbashev. He's a guy that's going to get left unprotected, and I think when healthy, he can go into a team and, and contribute. You know, Vince Dunn's going to be left unprotected, but, you know, what do teams think about him around the league? He's still a good young 23-year-old puck-moving defenseman but missed the last 14 games with a concussion, and and you're going to have to eventually pay him at some point. So um, those are two names that come to mind. I'm, I'm protecting Barbashev. Barbashev? Yeah. yeah. Who are you leaving off then? 91. Well, yeah, that's possible. You know uh, something that uh, you know I put two and two together uh, just yesterday was the fact that, you know who the GM of the Seattle team is? Ron Francis, right? Mm-hmm. So Tarasenko's agent was 
Mike Liute. Mike Liute and Ron Francis are really good friends. And so Tarasenko just left Mike Liute. And so Mike mm-hmm. Liute probably knows all about Vladimir Tarasenko. You think he might call his buddy Ron Francis Ooh, and interesting. say this yeah. is a guy that you might not uh, you know, want to pick up. So I don't know, just food for thought there. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. Can you stick around for a little yeah, bit? Yeah, for sure. JR is with us. He's taking the time to be in studio with us. So more with JR about the Blues next on 101 ESPN. Opinions do matter. Time for today's big thing with Carriker and Smallman on 101 ESPN. Powered by SSM Health Express Clinic at Walgreens. Visit SSMHealth.com for more information. Our friend Jeremy Rutherford, Rutherford, kind enough to stick around for another segment talking blues hockey here on 101 ESPN, your home of the blues. It's 9.05. Time check brought to you by Clarkson Jewelers, an officially licensed Rolex jeweler. JR, one other thing I wanted to touch on with you is, does Craig Berube need to change, and if so, how to get this team back to where they want to be? I thought there was some honesty on both sides from Craig Bruby and Doug Armstrong yesterday when uh, I asked about that. You know, there's so much talk about the players that Doug brings in, do they match up with what Craig Bruby wants to do? I do believe that there's a misconception about Craig Bruby. There's kind of this Tony La Russa, Ken Hitchcock, just likes the old players, you know, with, with hockey. It's the 200-foot grinded-out game. Look, that's... That's what he grew up with, but he's willing to adapt, I believe. There were plenty of times this season where he talked about the emergence of Jordan Cairo and and how the rush players, you know, let's get the offense moving up-tempo. But he also needs them to play the style of game that the Blues play in terms of being responsible, being a team. And when they don't do that, then there's room for criticism. So the, the thing that Doug Armstrong said yesterday that stuck out to me was that, you know, we can't... We can't have a situation where I'm bringing in these players and we're trying to put, you know, a square player into the round, you know, hole there in the peg. And, and he said that, so I'm going to have to have conversations with Craig Berube about what we're trying to do here. So I do think there is a situation that they need to be on the same page. And I don't think they're quite there yet. But as he said, they're going to talk about it. And I guess the most notable aspect of this would be the Mike Hoffman signing, right? Because Hoffman just doesn't appear to me to fit what Craig Berube wants. Definitely. And, And yesterday, Doug Armstrong said, I bring in a player and I envision him with other players, with certain players, and it doesn't work out. And so now Craig Bruby has to find a place for this guy. And we all know that it didn't work out with Mike Hoffman in terms of five on five. And then I think because Craig Bruby really trusts these guys that he won a cup with, he wasn't willing to pull them off the power play. He kept Mike Hoffman on that number two unit. took forever to get him to that top unit. Is Matthew Kachuk a Craig Berube type player? <laughs> I think that's the epitome of a Craig Berube <laughs> player, right? Well, a lot of a yeah. lot of people out there dreaming of him wearing the note. Do, how realistic is that? Well, you know, he's got I think one year left on his deal. Calgary loves him. It's the type of player where you know everybody hates him unless he's on your team. And gosh, I mean, he didn't he take off his hockey sweater and he had a Yachty jersey yes, on in the All Star yes, game. Yes, he did. I mean, I think you could put his uh, number up in the rafters the minute he signs. <laughs> gets traded to the Blues. Uh, They'd love to have him. I mean, I think you'd have to give up an arm and a leg to get him from Calgary. Uh, I think that... uh, Not allowed to go there anymore. Yeah, maybe. (laughs) Maybe when his contract's up, he's a restricted free agent. He could certainly... Uh, give St. Louis a look, but it just seems like a long shot at this point. We're going to have full capacity next year, are we not? I would think so, yeah. And what do you think of the great one going to TV? How about that? That's great. You think it's good? 
Yeah, I think so. I, I think uh, you know. I was Does he bring to, in interest of this the casual fan? You think if if you know that Wayne Gretzky's on the game, do you think people watch? You know, do you put down? You know the uh, the lawnmower and run inside to listen to him. I don't know, but I think if you enjoy hockey and you're in the you know got the TV on, you're going to flip it on and listen to him. To me, look, I I think that some of these fourth line players, third pair defensemen, or Dan in baseball, maybe that utility guy. I think they make good you know commentators. You've yeah, had a number of great interviews the past couple of weeks. Uh, that, you know, with guys who fit that description, who who just have a lot of insight. But but I do think. You know, Gretzky transcends the game. And, He's the Babe Ruth of the sport. Yeah, and look at that TNT basketball show with Shaq and, and those guys. But it that's is, the thing. He, to me, is not the guy that's going to be... Controversial. Yeah, he's not Charles Barkley <laughs> yeah. here. And that's okay. Maybe he gets that way, though. Huh? How, oh, wouldn't that be, be something? Amazing. I would love that. <laughs> and does TNT take a shot at Hully? Hully's done it before, and I don't think that he played with the national audience on normal network TV. But if you're trying to have a Charles Barkley... Who better than Brett Hull? Bronick was the guy that was there, kind of. Yeah, with NBC. He, right. But he's not as outlandish as Hull is. I would agree. Hey, they're putting together a, a great cast, and, and not to flame the speculation, but there was some noise on Twitter that Darren Pang might be doing some stuff mm. for mm. for TNT. Uh, I would think that he'd maintain his blues responsibilities, so don't get uh, scared there if you're a big Darren Pang fan. But also, uh, they're talking to some other people uh, to come to TNT. So I think they're going to have a lot of juice there. Any St. Louis ties? I don't know if oh. I can tell you that. <laughs> oh. We All were right. thinking that maybe J.D., but J.D. got right back into the hockey Yeah, game. he jumped right into that uh, Columbus scene again. Good for him. Yeah, So and he'll do well again. He's yeah. just he, he's the best at turning around a franchise yep. right now. So he's good. So as the Blues traverse what hopefully will be a normal offseason and get ready for next season... What do you think the biggest thing for them is? Is it going to be free agency? Do you think there's trades? Do you think they're they like some of the kids that they have? But like you said, they probably aren't going to be ready. In terms of making moves to be better next season, what's the offseason going to look like? I think it. First of all, we talked about earlier. It comes down to what are they going to do with Jaden Schwartz? Uh, you know, that's a good chunk of change, even though it might not take you to the cap, but you know, five and a half million, whatever it comes out to be. Um, and also it takes up one of those spots on that left side. I think they need another left winger. Even if they bring back Jaden mm-hmm. Schwartz, I think they're lacking in that area. I think they need finishers. I mean, you can talk about Tarasenko. You like Braden Shen, but he goes 18 games without a goal uh, this season. So I think for that offense to be better, they're going to need to add something up front. And to me, that's going to come down somewhat to what they do with uh, Jaden Schwartz. Was Kostin strictly a right winger in... Russia. He, you know, he's gone back and forth. So in the minor leagues, uh, I believe he played the left, and then they moved him to right. At one point in the minor leagues, they swapped Cairo and Costin. But I think if push comes to shove, they could play both sides. And by the way, I with Schwartz, I would bring him back, but I wouldn't bring him back for what he was making. With a flat cap and his production and his durability issues, I, I would offer him a contract and say, look, we're, we'll give you this until the day free agency starts, and we'll have to move on. But he'll know what his market value is. But I wouldn't go five point two again with him. Yeah, yeah. So five three five, and and I agree with you, uh, especially when you look at the lack of production. I wrote yesterday that uh, you know just the eight goals in the regular season, and he scored two goals twice. So that means he only scored in six of the forty games that he played yeah. this season, and not a point, not a point in the playoff series. So that's been a struggle. And the last thing is. 
whenever he doesn't score, you say, ah, oh, but he's great defensively. Well, this year he wasn't as great defensively. I wonder if, uh, and <clears throat> tell me if I'm wrong, but could you give David Perron an extension that is similar to that of, let's say, Alexander Steen? You know, Perron is, what, 32? He's got, what, one year left on his deal? Yep. Could you give him an extension like that? Yeah, so David Brown, your friend, friend of the yes, show, right? Yes, friend of the show. Yeah, he turns 33 uh, tomorrow, I oh, believe. happy birthday, David. Yeah, and... Uh, he's he, getting better and better. Better and better. He wants to it's play. Amazing. Yeah, he's in great shape. Yeah, so that, that Steen contract, I believe, was in his early 30s, and it was a four-year deal that took him to about uh, 36. That's my point. Yeah, a little bit of a different situation with David Prawn in that he's already 33, and, you know, would you give him four or five more years? You know, I don't think so, and I don't... I'm just wondering, like, two or three. Two or but three, But same okay. AAV. I don't think he's going to cost you five and a half uh, like like Steen did. And, and I say that because I think he wants to be here. I think he's made a lot of money in his career. So I think if Doug Armstrong came to him and said, look, we can give you two, three years, but it's going to be four, four, five, somewhere in there, I think you get him cheaper. That seems like an easy move on both sides. And you... You always appreciate David Perron. You understand what he brings to this team. He's leading the team in points. But sometimes you don't realize how much a person is valued until they're not there. And I think we saw that in the first round of the playoffs when he wasn't there. It's absolutely amazing. Now you go back to not protecting him in the expansion draft uh, with Vegas. And and I know they had some tough decisions there to make. They had to protect Ryan Reeves because they knew that Pittsburgh wanted him and they could make a trade shortly after that expansion draft. But to think that you didn't protect David Perron. But then he goes on to Vegas and plays better comes back to St. Louis, and this is... I've covered David Perron from the day he walked into the Scott Trade, now Enterprise Center. What year was that? Uh, I guess it would have been 2007. Seven. Wow. He was drafted I was doing the blues, year. I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's been here forever. And this is the best I've seen yes. him play. This is the best hockey I've seen him play. How about Bennington? What did you think of his year? I thought that he was inconsistent. First of all, he had a pretty good start. Carried the team through the first six or so games. Uh you, I think after that up and down, I think that whereas he was making a save to that he shouldn't have made earlier in his career, uh, he was letting one in that he shouldn't have. So that was different than what we had seen from Jordan Bennington. I think when he said we're coming and he made 50 saves that night, I think uh, he kind of regained his swagger a little bit. And I think uh, he made some pretty good saves and won some games down the stretch. And now people look at this 0-9 playoff record the past two years. Look, he wasn't great last year, and I'll be the first one to say that. But there were, there were a couple games in this Colorado series where they had no chance of even being in the game if Jordan Bennington didn't play the way he did. JR, thanks so much for stopping by. We appreciate it. Always good to see you. Have a great offseason, and we'll be talking to you anyway. Anytime. Thanks for letting me barge in. You're, You're the, the man. Yeah, thanks, guys. Jeremy Rutherford, our Blues Insider from The Athletic on 101 ESPN. Coming up, an explosive piece yesterday from Don Van Netta and Seth Wickersham of ESPN.com regarding Spygate, which, of course, affected St. Louis. We're going to talk to Seth Wickersham of ESPN.com about that next on 101 ESPN. Michelle Smallman, I'm Randy Carricker. Great to have you with us on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. And Seth Wickersham and Don Van Natta Jr. of ESPN.com always do spectacular work covering the NFL. And another great story that they turned out yesterday regarding Arlen Specter, the former senator from Pennsylvania, who was wanting the Senate to investigate the Spygate affair with the Patriots and Bob Kraft. And now new information that our former president, before he was president, Donald Trump, getting involved in that situation. Seth Wickersham joins us now on the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line on 101 ESPN. And Seth, we always enjoy talking to you. Thanks for taking the time today. How are you doing? 
My pleasure. How are you guys doing? Everything's good. I want to start with this because four years ago, about four years ago, you and Dom were working on this story and you visited the University of Pittsburgh to go into the archives of Arlen Specter. How did this thing become revived four years later? You know, it was just, there wasn't any one particular thing that happened. You know, it was Don Van Atta who, who got a tip that Senator Winter Specter felt was tantamount to a bribe if he would discontinue his investigation into the, the Senate investigation into the Spygate inquiry. And, um, you know, at the time we, we, we didn't, confirm it. it i think that it was um you know we came out with the story in, in september of 2015 that went really deep into specter's investigation into spygate as part of um a story that we did about the slategate being a makeup call for spygate so anyway we had you know we had we had been deep into the specter papers and deep into his investigation don got this tip and we both made a couple trips to try to confirmed that it was Trump. You know, I went to D.C. Um, Don went back to, to Pennsylvania. Um, you know, there was a lot of phone calls made. You know, we, um, Don ended up calling Shane Inspector, who was the senator's son, a very highly respected attorney in, in Pennsylvania. And, you know, he confirmed that it was indeed Trump. And so, um, you know, that's kind of just how it happened. I'd say that it was, a, you know, a type of story that, you know, we, we, we pursued it intensely for a while and then kind of set it aside for a while. And then, um, you know, you know, some things just never quite go away. Little pieces of reporting, you always want to, they, they continue to kind of drive you and pick your curiosity. And um, we just kind of kept pursuing it. Okay, Seth, you answered the how. My next question is why. It's well documented that Robert Kraft and Donald Trump have a friendship, but why would Donald Trump want to get involved in this? Well, you have to remember, Donald Trump in 2008 was a lot different than Donald Trump in, you know, 2016 to, to now. You know, he he wasn't someone who had these political ambitions necessarily. He, he kind of liked being in the center of the action. He liked donating to both Republicans and to Democrats, um, to their campaigns. And he liked Senator Specter. I mean, they were friends and they were someone, they were people who... Um, went back a long way, back to the 80s. And so, um, you know, Trump had held fundraisers for Senator Specter. And so, you know, I think that we've learned enough about Donald Trump that, to know that he likes to solve problems for people <laughs> and, you know, insert himself into things. And if he can figure out a way to help one friend and, um, you, you know, by, by calling another, he you know, he would do that. And so... Um, you know, again, Shane, you know, again, you know, Senator Specter wrote in his book, in his autobiography, that, um, you know, a mutual friend of himself and of Robert Kraft called and said, you know, if you laid off the Patriots, there'd be a lot of money in Palm Beach. And, you know, the senator was kind of offended by that. He thought that it was tantamount to a bribe, even if election law looks at it a little bit differently. He replied, I couldn't care less. But, you know, I think that from Trump's point of view, and granted, he denied to us that he, you know, tried to influence this investigation. I think that he saw a way to solve a problem by, you know, serving as kind of a bridge between two friends. Seth Wickersham of uh, ESPN.com with us on 101 ESPN. It is interesting that, uh, obviously, Donald Trump's 
side that you approached denied this vociferously, and Robert Kraft's side denied it vociferously. But I guess Robert Kraft wants to stay out of this completely because he doesn't want to be he doesn't want Spygate to come up anymore, right? And he doesn't really want that association with with Trump anymore. But where was it going to go? Obviously, if they if Trump succeeded. It, was, it wasn't going to accomplish much because the NFL had already pretty much ended the investigation anyway, right? Well, I, I don't know where it would have gone. You know, I think that, again, you know, I think that there's assuming there's a lot of calculation put to that move. I think that, you know, maybe, you know, it was something that Trump said. And, you know, again, Shane Inspector said that he said it on behalf of Robert Kraft. Mm-hmm. I mean, the issue was that, you know, this Spygate came up, obviously, you know, it, it broke in September of 2007. So now we're in the spring of 2018, and a senator is launching an investigation into the NFL's investigation of Spygate, which was, you know, very fast and very expedient and left a lot of owners around the league and coaches and general managers furious that they felt that Roger Goodell had first implemented a punishment before really investigating it, and then second, destroyed evidence that, you know, none of the other owners got to see. And, um, you know, Senator, you know, never tried to figure out how many games were influenced due to this, um, you know, illegal taping. And, Senator Specter was saying, look, the NFL at the time enjoyed an antitrust exemption. And, you know, we as consumers and as citizens, you know, deserve more answers than the NFL was willing to give. And so he pursued his investigation. He met with Roger Goodell. He met with General Counsel Jeff Pash. He felt the Patriots and, and largely the rest of the league was stonewalling it. He met with Matt Walsh, who was a Spygate whistleblower. And I think that he wanted to open a larger Senate investigation similar to the steroids investigation in Major League Baseball. Um, There just wasn't the appetite for that in the Senate. Remember 2008, you know, we've got two wars going. The economy was teetering. Um, There just wasn't the appetite for that. And so in May of 2008, he he dropped his inquiry. And... Seth, as as a fan of the St. Louis Rams that were perhaps the first victims of Spygate, and as somebody who watched the league really work around their guidelines to get the franchise out of St. Louis to L.A., I couldn't agree more with what Spector told his confidant, Charles Robbins, that this is part of Arlen Spector's thesis that the NFL owns America. They're addicted to pro football in a way they have never been addicted to baseball or heroin. And I've always had the impression that the NFL thought that way, too, that we are bigger than anything. Well, yeah, there's a lot in there. I mean, I, I you know, I think that obviously, you know, Don and I have written at length about, you know, trying to get inside the relocation efforts, you know, that, you know, the St. Louis Rams had to Los Angeles and, and, you know, how Stan Kroenke and Jerry Jones maneuvered that, Um, you know, I I don't know if the NFL was arrogant in his, in its response to Senator Specter, maybe at the beginning it was, I mean, he sent three letters to Roger Goodell in late 2007. None of them were answered. It was only after he started making noise um, around the Super Bowl. 
And news broke in the Boston Herald, a report that was later retracted, that the Patriots had videotaped the St. Louis Rams walkthrough in February of 2002, that this investigation started to get going. And, you know, Goodell and Jeff Pash did meet with Senator Specter. Um, and, you know, and one of the staffers had told me that Goodell was cool as a cucumber in that meeting and, you know, didn't feel any remorse whatsoever for how he handled the investigation. Obviously, that was unsatisfactory to Arlen Specter. I mean, he was, um, you know, a prosecutor at heart, and he sensed that there was a cover-up. Seth, we love everything that you do. You're an incredible writer. We're both heading to Amazon to pre-order your book that's coming out in October. It's called It's Better to Be Feared, The New England Patriots Dynasty and the Pursuit of Greatness. I can't wait to read it. Can you just give a little bit of an elevator pitch to our listeners to let them know what the book will be like? Yeah, well, I mean, like the story that we're discussing, thank you very much for mentioning it. You know, I think that, you know, the, the, the New England Patriots have been a force over the past two decades. I think that they've been a captivating force and there have been costs to their greatness. And I kind of want to get to the root of like how, you know, Tom Brady, Bill Belichick became great at their craft and get into that as as deeply as I possibly can and also show what some of the costs of that greatness were. I think that, um, I think there's a lot of room to explore in that realm. And, um, you know, hopefully I do a good job of it when the book comes out. We know that you do a good job of it. Seth, thanks so much for the time. Great work again. We always appreciate it. And I'm sure that the next explosive NFL story that you turn out, we'll be talking to you then too. We appreciate it. Have a great weekend. I'd love to talk next time. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you, Seth. Seth Wickersham of ESPN.com on 101 ESPN. Coming up, you're killing me, Smalls. Erica and Smallman coming to you live from the Car Shield Studio. This is 101 ESPN. What's totally killing Smalls right now? You're killing me, Smalls. You're killing me, Smalls, with Michelle Smallman on 101 ESPN. Brought to you by BMW of West St. Louis, the number one BMW dealer in all of Missouri. Michelle Smallman has not complained at all about having no thumbs today. Her thumbs are taped down and she has not been able to utilize them yet. She's done a good job and hasn't complained. I've been complaining internally for the past two and a half hours. Okay. This has been awful. Let's see. You only have. You're a gamer. 23 minutes left. Thank you, Dan, for that countdown. No problem. You can handle it. Um, The worst has been trying to get my headphones on every segment because (laughs) I have the -the over-the-ear ones and it's hard to grab them with your middle finger and your pointer finger and try to secure them on. Not great. Pretty funny. I don't like gambling with you, Randy. I don't like making these wagers. Um, Which is worse, this or the deviled egg? The deviled egg. I got one worse. You having to sing. (laughs) That was worse for you. But for me, it was glorious. It's time for... You're killing me, Small! Remember the timing, Dan, at the beginning? Oh, yeah. <laughs> it was very frustrated. Madonna screwed up. It wasn't me. <laughs> mm-hmm. You were That's trying right. to blame it on everybody. Mm-hmm. 
So, guys, NBA playoffs happening right now. The 76ers and Wizards game two last night. Philadelphia won 120 to 95. With 10 minutes left to play, Russell Westbrook rolled his ankle. So he had to leave the game. Multiple Wizards staffers and security guards were helping him as he was limping off of the floor. So as he's in the tunnel, a fan dumped popcorn on him. And Westbrook had a very visceral and immediate reaction. He had to be held back. The fan was escorted out and Westbrook talked about this after the game. Let me honest, man, this is getting out of hand, uh, especially for me. The amount of disrespect, the amount of just fans is doing whatever the they want to do. It's just it's out of pocket, man. It's out of pocket. Seriously, like any other setting, uh, you know, I'm, I'm all for the fans enjoying the game and having fun. And, you know, it's part of sports. I get it. Uh, but there's certain things that cross the line. Uh, and any other setting, I know for a fact that fans and they wouldn't come up. A guy wouldn't come on the street and pour popcorn on my head because he know what happened. A guy wouldn't come up to me and talk mess about my kids or family on the street because the response would be different. In these arenas, you got to start protecting the players, man. It shouldn't happen, but it happened to Quinn Snyder from his own fans. I was at the bragging rights game yep. when that happened. I watched it live. Um, I, I'm with Russell Westbrook. Your, your ticket gives you the ability to go in and cheer and dance and laugh and boo all you want, but you can't do that. Can't be throwing no. stuff at players. No. It's ridiculous. Especially how, when well, he's how, limping off. That's so disrespectful. How upset do, would you have to be as a fan to throw something on another human being? You're a moron. You're yeah, a moron. You are. You're an idiot, and you should spend the night in jail. Can't do that. Also, the, Agreed. he mentioned people talking about his kids and his family. Yeah. There's just certain things you don't need to do as a fan. Boo at him, yell yell about his game. Don't make it personal about his family or his kids or or actually physically throw something at him or on him. It's just, as Bradley Beal said, disgusting. And I don't know why he's such a lightning rod. Remember he got into the fracas in Utah a couple of years ago when people were calling him racial epithets. And maybe it does happen to other players in the... Nothing gets said about it, but he seems to have more interaction, negative interaction with fans than other NBA players. 636. Westbrook is a millionaire who gets paid to play a game. Police officers have to stand the line and get thrown stuff at them all the time, and he's told nasty things about their family. They make a fraction of what Westbrook makes. Shut up and dribble. That's apples and oranges. We're talking about a professional athlete in this particular time walking off the court. You should not have anything thrown at you. Period. Regardless of how much money you make. That's my point. Also, I hate when people try to relate anything to professional sports. Professional sports is a profession unlike any other. Do you, if you're an accountant, have to answer questions to a group of people that is then broadcast on television after what you do for your job every single day? No. Everything that they do is not, it's so unrelatable to any other walk of life. So I just hate when people try to compare one thing to another and it doesn't make one thing better or the other thing better, but it's just very, very difficult to try to compare it to anything else. 573 saying that uh, the fans pay your salary, 100% correct. So single out the fan, not fans as a generalization. I didn't think he was singling out all fans. No. And maybe I could be so. wrong about that, but I thought he was talking about that particular fan when he said, hey, would you do that to me on the street? And he's right. The answer is no. Fan would not have the guts to do that. And if the fan did, <laughs> good luck. Yeah. 
By the way, I wonder if uh, if Bill Bradley, for example, was ever told to just shut up and dribble after spending as much time as he did in the Senate. Well, you can't. Um, after I'm being not an going NBA down to politics here, Randall. But I'll say this: if if you have a ticket, you have a right to boo. You have a right to cheer. I saw a guy Sunday night. Every time music came up, he got up and danced, and we were all laughing at him. It was fun. Um, you have a, the right to have an, an enjoyable experience. You do not have the right to throw anything at a player. Period. A hundred percent. And if I was him, I'd be upset too. You're and the fans should be banned. Yeah. And that's a, it, it, by the way, it did happen in Philadelphia. So throwing batteries, and those people yeah. should be out. Yep. See ya. You're killing me, Smalls. The feud, you guys, the match and the feud is back. July 6th, we have Tom Brady and Phil Mickelson taking on Bryson DeChambeau and Aaron Rodgers. Great star power, great pairings. And there was a lot happening with this on social media yesterday. I think I'm going to start with Tom Brady. So whatever Tom Brady pays his social media team, it's not enough because they hit every single time. And we know it's not Tom making mm-hmm. these memes. We know it's not Tom. But we all talk, we've all seen the video of Brooks Kepka getting visibly annoyed as Bryson DeChambeau walked behind him. Tom Brady isolated a screenshot of that and made a meme on Brooks Kepka saying, Aaron, Aaron Rodgers, realizing he has to spend the whole day with Bryson. And then Bryson in the back, it just says, Bryson, happy to be here. Well, this caused some back and forth with people on social media, including Brooks Kepka getting in the mix saying, sorry, bro, at Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> he does not like Bryson DeChambeau. Bryson responds to Brooks Kepka saying, it's nice to be living rent free in your head. I really don't need anybody else except DeChambeau and Kepka. You can leave everybody else. Yeah, Just give me those great. two guys. Exactly. I love that Brooks is jumping in. He's not even involved in the event he's jumping in. I would love it. Just those two. What was Phil's tweet? Phil said, I feel like I'm in the middle of something and should step aside, except they want the current PGA champ. <laughs> this is great. Phil's the best. He's, he's unbelievable on social media. Like he'll He'll do things where he looks in the camera. He's like, you know. I think it's a bombs day. Mm-hmm. And he'll just go up to the tee and just hit bombs. Did you see the thing? I don't know if you guys saw this. It was on Twitter had it, and it was all over social media. But they, they took clips of microphones picking up things that he was saying to the crowd, his interaction with I the crowd. It, no. But one of the things was um, it started with somebody had their camera phone out, and uh, Phil sees, and he turns and looks at the guys. He goes, yeah. You're going to want to get this. I mean, <laughs> stuff like that. He, he's awesome, That's man. That's great. I love it. That's amazing. Okay, so July 6th, the match. You guys tuned in? Yes. I love I it when they do the yeah. match. It's on TNT. Too. It'll uh, be great. I think it'll be great, too, and I love the people involved this time. You're killing me, Small. Finally, Dan, I wanted to get your reaction to this. So there was a rain delay in the fourth inning of last night's Reds-Nationals game, and a streaker went out, a Fully nude streaker ran out onto the field. He slid onto the tarp, and when security came to get him... <laughs> Did they want to touch him? Well, he crawled into the tube where the tarp was <laughs> holding <laughs> down the tarp, and so they had security guards on one or the other end of the tube waiting for Come on. him to crawl out. Seriously, here's the photo of him, and they're waiting Look at him smiling, exactly. too. Exactly. And uh, I was just curious, if you were at the game, and you're sitting in a rain delay, you're obviously in the booth waiting for things to happen, and you saw this going down what would your reaction be oh i i <laughs> so we are told on television not to show said streakers because we want we don't want to give them a platform that's mm-hmm. the whole idea is that you don't give them more attention 
but I'll do play-by-play every <laughs> once in a while. I'll, I'll describe because people are tuning in and they may be flipping around and we got a shot of guys just standing around and you're like, what's going on? And I'll explain, okay, there is a streaker on the field. He's now in shallow right field. There are five security guards chasing him down, whatever. And uh, and then describe that, uh, you know, he's off to his, you know, confinement in uh, in the city jail. Whatever happens to him. Yeah. Kevin Harlan's play-by-play. Pretty good. Really good. Pretty good. And I'm glad that you guys do it. It's great. Also, if you watch the video, he runs out onto the field. He slides onto the tarp. And as he's there, security's not there yet. Then he gets up. He runs and slides again. And security comes out. And instead of just booking it back to the stands, he crawls in the tube. Like, dude, they're going to be, you're trapping yourself. What are you doing here? I mean, how do you get him out? Do you, do, you know, do you do you put like a little plate of food, some nachos out there and say, okay, come on. It's like, you know, got to gotta get him going a little bit. I was wondering about that, if they were going to have to have someone crawl in one right. after the other. But eventually he just came out on his own. Could you imagine being the security guy, too? You don't want any part of that. Oh, no. no. I, I know. I've been there before. Fully I, naked? I, yeah. Fully. No. It's not no, thanks. good. No. Here we go. This is fun. This is just fun city here. I don't know. We're, we are. Okay. Thanks, Michelle. You got it. That's it. We're done with uh, your killing me smalls. Coming up next, we're going to cross things over towards the Danny Mac Show on 101 ESPN. Time now for the crossover on 101 ESPN. The Danny Mac Show with Danny Mac and BK coming up at the top of the hour here on 101 ESPN. Dan McLaughlin will be calling the cards in the Diamondbacks tonight on Bally Sports Midwest. And we're looking forward to playing a team that's lost 10 in a row. Hopefully we can extend that to 14 in a row. Yeah, it's a four-game series. And then the road trip continues. Some late-night games. Well, starting tonight's late night, but then really late on the West Coast next week with uh, the Doyer. And last night, Albert Pujols was at the plate at the end of the game. And in Houston, everybody thought that Albert was going to come up and be Albert in Houston. And unfortunately, he was retired to end the game. But the Dodgers had an opportunity to win it last night in the most dramatic fashion with Albert up at the end of the game. Using him a lot, and he's given them um, a little jolt. So looking forward to seeing the Dodgers. I think Trevor Bauer may make the game one start against he the Cardinals. pitched last night. So that would be so Memorial Day. Yep, that would be it. Yep, so he would be on Monday. They've got great pitching. They've been playing well, and the Diamondbacks have not. So it's a chance to uh, you know, take care of business out in Arizona. And uh, tonight, Carlos Martinez is going. He hasn't started against the Diamondbacks since 2018. Wow. And they've got uh, a starter that has only made three career starts. Um, looking forward to seeing Carson Kelly. And yeah. he's off to a good start. So... Uh, we'll see what they have. By the way, if you weren't aware of the Houston game last night, they're up 5-2 in the ninth. Abreu is pitching, and he had not finished a game for them. And he gets two quick outs, then he walks Gavin Lux, he walks Chris Taylor, and then Albert comes up and strikes out swinging to end the game. But high drama at the end of that game. And high would, drama. Would have been such a moment if Albert could have done it again. In Houston? In Houston. It would yeah, have been he's, unbelievable. He's been there a bunch, though. Yeah, but still. The American League West. But he he's great in that ballpark, though. Well, he has. He was for us. It's just you figure it's going to happen, right? Against Houston uh, with the Dodgers. No, I kind of did. No. When I think of the best home run I've ever seen, that's at the top of the list. It's up there. Well, other than David Freeze. David Freeze would be mine. 
Yeah, but in recent Cardinal history, but for, that one was it, just amazing. such a dagger for Albert home runs. Though was that the number one Albert home run? Has to be without a he, doubt. He had a bunch. I mean, he had some yeah, great ones, but. Uh, you know, I think like that weekend series, I think it was in 06 against Cincinnati Mother's mm-hmm. Day weekend. Yep. was great. That was, I mean, he had a bunch. Three home runs in a World Series game yeah. comes to mind. Yeah. But I think that's the one that defines him, though. Yeah, if because you think about your home runs, that, that's the one that defines him. Yeah, you, you're losing, you're, you, you've got two outs, and you're about to have the season end. And Houston's going to the World Series. And to hit it that far... <laughs> To hit that home run was unbelievable. Did you guys hear uh, Phil Garner on the show last week? I heard. I didn't hear the whole thing. So I got in late. We asked him about it, and of course, Phil was the manager of the the Astros at that time, and he said Brad Osmus on the way to St. Louis grabbed the microphone in the plane, and you know was acting like as if he was a pilot, and said, "If uh, you please look out your windows, you'll see that Albert Pujols' home run is still traveling uh, just to your left, everybody." And he said that was the moment that broke the ice for their entire team. Hmm. I mean, even Garner said that when you go back and look at the video, it's Andy Pettit, and you can see him lip it. He goes, oh, my God. Yeah. Like, yeah. When, yeah. When he said, we all saw it. Because we're all looking at the video after the game. And he said, but when Brad Osmus grabbed the microphone and did that, he said that was the turning point of the series for them. He said it broke the ice. Everybody just kind of loosened up and said, okay, we're, we're off and running. And the Cardinals had all the momentum. They thought they were going to come home and win a couple of games. Roy Oswald stopped that. Yeah, he sure did. Yeah. He was awesome in game six. And that was the end of Bush Stadium, too. Yeah. That was the final game there. It was. Yeah. So who do we have coming up on the Dan McLaughlin show today? Enos Harris from The Athletic. Oh, he's great. Well, this would be interesting. Perfect timing to get him on, especially with what happened last night. And he dives into numbers and various things, a spin rate and how spin rate can be affected if you have foreign substance on your cap or belt or pants or wherever. But uh, so we'll have uh, Mr. Harris on and it should be fun. Looking forward to that. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Daniel. We'll see you tomorrow. We'll hear from you next hour and tomorrow. Great job by Marty Jenkins, producer engineer in for Emily Butcher. Thank you, sir. Thank you. Michelle, this was great. How are you doing? Ready to break free. Okay, Michelle has done the entire show. We're so proud of Michelle doing the entire show with... Her hands taped so that she didn't have opposable thumbs today, and she got through it with no, well, I won't say no problem at all, but she didn't complain about it if she did have any problems. I will say this. The biggest victory for me today was not spilling my coffee all over myself when I tried to take a drink of it with no thumbs. I'm impressed. It's all about grip. So we need to know that. That's This is why. I had a little rosin yep. on my other fingers. I was able to get it done. This is why your dogs and cats can't use phones because they don't have thumbs. Ooh. We thank you for tuning in, (laughs) texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us. Until tomorrow morning at 7. Have a great day, St. Louis. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, Think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.